please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, David. How are I, you today? I almost live streamed this on my Twitch just now. Oh my I God. was like, let's just hit the press start streaming button. Like, that sounds like a thing I should do. Um, yeah. Man, it has been a wild weekend. Uh, I am actually soaked right now. I've been soaked since I came back in the house to put the boom arm on my mic stand. It's here. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's been an interesting night. Um, it's been an interesting weekend. I had a gig on uh, yesterday morning at... 11 o'clock and um that went in a very unexpected fashion so uh uh, let's 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 get into the what's new today let's let's talk about what's new um what's new uh i think i can say a few more times if you have not done so already and you're listening to the podcast and you're having a good time you watch this on youtube follow subscribe do whatever you got to do to follow the podcast on your chosen platform we're in a lot of different places at this point, it's almost impossible for me to tell you what to do. If you're on YouTube, I can tell you to click the notification bell, though. That's the one thing I can tell That's you. Right. Um, so, and if you're on iTunes, please uh, give us a, a review. Even if it's a negative one, it'll help us. So I, thank you. Agreed, agreed. Facebook, uh, we have a Facebook group, too, and it's active. Join. Have fun. Uh, we have a Discord, too, and you can find information about the Discord in the Facebook group. So mm-hmm. um, if you're into Discord, I'm... I'm going to run that basically. We're discording um, tonight. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we record, we actually recorded discord. Um, all right. All right. So you and I both just talked and we said like, there wasn't a whole lot of what's new going on. Um, I'm actually kind of at a crossroads right now. So you got the Kemper last week and yeah. that was like a big deal. Um, I, am sort of like so so i went through this gig this weekend and we'll talk about that in the gig report but i used a piece i used equipment i already had and there were some shortcomings there and i think they could have been overcome and i think that i might take some steps to mitigate that only because i don't know how long i'm going to be financially viable in this particular avenue of doing things however um it is good fun. And the fact that I can just like be super mobile is cool. So I'm actually starting to look at battery PAs again. We'll talk about that as part of the gig report. And then I'm looking at digital solutions because I'm kind of like, I have a great pedal board. And for gigs like that, where you got to go into a PA, I got to have something uh, that I can use that, that is a little bit easier, more easy to manage. And we'll talk a bit about that. But basically what had happened was I was playing unplugged and i sort of made the decision that i wanted to play electric and uh have was having issues finding something that could take nine volt power um and take nine volt power well because actually one of the devices has a nine volt battery jack but it doesn't like batteries um so that basically is what lead me down the path so i've already kind of like made up my mind i'm basically looking at two items one would be the the uh, Tunas Torpedo Cab M, 
um, because they've added amp modeling into that. So now you can do preamp power amp, amp modeling inside the unit and then route it out to your existing two notes cabs, which already owns some yep. of those. I'm very happy with my two notes stuff. Um, and I think it would be a great tool just to like you have as a backup you can stick it in your gig bag. You can do a bad situation as long as your pedal board still working, jack in, you're good to go. Um, and, uh, so there's that, right. Um, or, and people are going to laugh because this is like me coming full circle. Right. But I am looking very hard at the HX stomp. Um, and I think yeah, the yeah. HX stomp might, sense. might win only because it does a lot more. So it might get yep. use outside of just being a backup solution. Um, yep. so I'm just, I'm thinking about it. Like it's not something I'm doing yet. Um, I'm still trying to sell that Mesa Boogie cab. I got a guy that reached out to me yesterday. <sighs> All right, well, let, let's talk about this. This, is, this could be the what's new for the for the uh, for our listeners. This guy reaches out to me on Reverb and he goes, "Dude, your cab is worth like four hundred and twenty dollars." My response is, "Dude, my cab is worth like five hundred and fifty dollars." And it's you know he goes, "Well." Well, there, the price guide says a Mesa 1x12 mini recto cab is worth like $420. I And I politely responded. I said, that is for black on black, my friend. This is basket weave or not basket weave, uh, the the uh, wicker. And it's, right. you know, wicker with black Tolex and, and white piping. That's a custom option. This is a $680 cabinet new. Like, yep. No offense, dude, but you don't know what you're talking about. So then he comes back and says, well, it says here you've got a 30-watt speaker in it. I have a vintage 30 in it. Anybody who knows anything knows that's a 75-watt power handling speaker. Yep. I, I, like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. They, then he <laughs> says, then he turns around and he says, well, if you take the speaker out, I'll, I'll buy it from you for um, 420 plus the 115 bucks you want for shipping. And I'm going, oh my God. I all right. So here's the here's the rub, right? Like in any other cabinet, in literally any other cabinet, I'd be like, hell yeah, let's do it. Cause that means I'm gonna get new price for the for the combo. Right. But in this cabinet, it's gonna be a pain in the ass and it's gonna be a problem because I literally will have to so if you've ever taken apart <laughs> you, you have you ever taken apart a, a closed back basic cab, Jim? All right. No. And so, I don't want to. So the back panel on those guys. They, they mount them in, and I, I swear, they use a mallet to actually get the Tolex to fit flat, and then they oh, yes, screw they did. them together. I did take one apart. You can literally Remember? take the screws out, and that back is not going to come off. There's no nope. way. It's like sealed on there. You have to, and then, so in order to get it off, you have to pry with some sort of tool to get underneath yep. the edge and try not to damage the Tolex while you do this, because then or, it's no longer going to be extremely good condition. Right, or use the uh, the suction cup thing that uh, you use for like a car. <laughs> yeah. So the other option was, uh, and even that can damage the Tolex, Jim. So you got you got to be careful because the Tolex is soft. I know. But my yep. thought was actually like you can remove the center that that where the um, the jacks actually sit, and then go yep. inside and lift up. But right. I tried that the last time I had to take one apart, and it didn't work yep. out so hot. I ended up actually using. Um, <clears throat> I think I use like a like a plastic like iPhone screen removal type tool to like yep. get underneath the Tolex and pry it up. And I had to do it on like multiple places to get it to loosen up enough that I could actually it was a long process. It took it took two hours. Remember I 
Yeah, I took that because there was a speaker. We wanted to know of a specific speaker in one of those cabs I bought. Yeah. Um, so I, I had to open that thing, and I had a similar experience, and it was nightmarish at best. Because if I didn't, if it wasn't right, I was returning it, which I did. Right. And I had to do that all without damaging it, or I couldn't return the damn thing. Yeah, I mean, it literally, <clears throat> if you don't know what you're doing, and you're really concerned about like damaging the Tolex or putting any marks in it or anything, it can take two hours. It took me two hours to get to get yeah. to the, and that was in my big, big boy recto where yeah. I replaced uh, the V30 with a, with a new one because the other one blew. Um, and I was doing a one by 12. Yeah. It was uh, a single one by 12. Right. Um, in my case, it was a single one by 12 as well, but it, yep. it's just one of those things where, if somebody thinks like, oh, well, that's going to save you a ton of money and hassle. I'm like, dude, look, I know I'm going to get 550 for this cab. I just have to wait. So it, unfortunately, dude, I'm going to have to tell you to go pound sand because this yep. is just not going to work out. Like, and not only that, but like total inconvenience, just, you know, the way that people talk to you on Reverb sometimes is just like. People, what? people get so mad because you're not meeting their expectation of what you want to sell your gear for. It's not it's listed just, as separate <clears throat> items, dude. Go away. No. It's mind boggling. I don't have to it's do that if I don't want to. Um, it's like when, uh, what's his face listed his pedal jokingly, but listed his pedal for a million dollars. Uh, the clan was a JHS or something, um, or a half a million dollars. And then, uh, they did a joke thing where music is when bought it. And Josh Scott was out partying, and it was yeah, pretty yeah. funny. It's a funny little skit if anybody hasn't seen it. I'll, I'll, it's a I'll, little skit. It's funny. A long time but, ago, <clears throat> to, to share a story similar to this, a right. long time ago, I had a guy reach out to me, and he said, your shipping on an item is high. Okay? So I responded, and I said, my shipping is what it is because I have to buy a box. And I can't, I can't remember yep. what the item was for. Yeah, I have to buy a box. I have to buy packing yep. material. If you're not familiar mm -hmm. with what packing material costs, it must have been a guitar or an amp because it was a lot of packing material. Yeah, I was yeah. Um, yeah. And if you haven't done this, like shipping a guitar insured of a value over $1,000 will cost you over $100 now. Like that is, yeah. unfortunately, that is the cost. Well over. Yeah, that's just you insurance and all that. 60 bucks. Yeah, I mean, Not it's- Not that long ago. Well, it's the insurance cost and it's and it's the fact that things have gone up as a result of the pandemic. Like yeah. they've just been, you know, they've well, skyrocketed. It, um, it used to be a dollar per hundred. So $1,000 was 10 bucks. Yeah, no. But that is not the case anymore. Believe me, it is not the case anymore. No. And if you haven't shipped, I I paid, it was $80 to ship pedals. Mm-hmm. I um, believe it. I believe it. The, the bigger pedals I sold recently? Yeah. Those were like $80 to ship. And that was for the full, <clears throat> and I didn't have to buy materials. That was just to... Put them in a box. Eighty dollars for the whole for the whole group. So about about right. fifteen to twenty bucks a piece. That's right. that's what I figured. Right. right. Yeah. So so I and so like I, I get back to this guy. I said, you know, look look, I want to make the sale here. This is what we can do. Why don't you pay the shipping as it is right now? I will refund you the difference if if it is <laughs> uh, if the amount you pay me exceeds what it costs. I will send you the pictures of the receipts. And once I make that 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 statement via chat, like Reverb then knows and they can hold me to it. So that's, right. that's actually sort of what happens, right? So I send the guy all the receipts and basically show him 
I actually ate five bucks. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, wow, I didn't realize shipping I, things was that expensive. When I sold my V, I ate 30. I want to say it was 30. I figured 75, I might have charged 80 for shipping. Um, and I ate, I ate still 30 or $35. On I believe it. it. So... I, I, and I packed that thing. I double boxed it. I double. I packed the guitar in its case. Still put packing in it. Still put stuff under the strings. I do the same. Then yeah. I then I packed the case in a box. Then I packed the box in a box. Then I wrapped. Then I weighed. Then I shipped. And I did that all using reverb. It was really a an extremely easy experience. Because you can go to, uh, those who don't know, you can go to your local guitar store, and most of your guitar stores are going to give you boxes because they're throwing them out. Yeah, but, yeah, especially if you're good friends with them. That's where I get most of mine yeah. now. But I still end up yeah. buying packing material from time to time. Yeah, but you still have you a still roll of bubble wrap. If I'm shipping a guitar, I can use an entire roll of bubble wrap. So, right. like, keep that Easily. in mind. And, and it's 20 or 30 bucks a roll now. So it's like, guys, you know. It's $3.50 for tape. No, not to mention my labor involved. You don't know how much like I got to run to the store and to get time. this crap and come back and like, yeah. And, and that's the other one is that when like, oh, it's the next day. When's it going to ship? And, uh, and has anybody stood me? in line? Right. Has anybody stood in line recently to ship stuff? Yeah. Um, that's I mean, a whole other. even just to drop it off, you're standing there in line. And they're like, oh, you're trying to get it. That's a whole other this is all other thing. All right, so um, we didn't do a little recap of what we're going to talk about in this episode, but I think we'll. I think oh, I, I just... do have a what? I do have a what's new. Oh, okay, go ahead. One what's new? Number one, this is funny. So I bought I bought these from I bought a five pack of Fast Frat from okay. Guitar Center because they had a special going on. You bought five and you got and you paid for four, so it was twenty bucks. I was like, wow, twenty bucks for a thing of Fast Frat? Hell yeah! I'll buy a five pack. This. Is what number five looked like. Oh my gosh. So I contacted my guitar center rep. Everybody knows who my guitar center rep, if you don't know. Watch past episodes. <laughs> and I said, and, and I said, uh, there's this is missing. And I sent him a picture. And he goes to me, he goes, Jim, got you covered. He put that I returned it and he sent me out a new thing. And I was like, you just I figured he was gonna send me one. No, you sent me another second five. five. Right. So now I have a nine <laughs> frets, which I I can't say enough good as far as that goes. That that was a good experience for Guitar Center. Yeah. Um, I also ordered the, uh, the expression pedal, the Mission expression pedal for my uh, Kemper. Wait, did you get the uh, um, Did you get the uh, uh, spring loaded one, or did you get the the regular one? It was one hundred fifty dollars, so I don't know. Is that the spring loaded one? Or is I, the I don't one? know either. That's why I'm like, because because I think they're the same price. They're very close. Are they? Yeah, it's the EP one. Yeah, EP1, I think that's KP1? the normal one. I yeah, think that's probably. the normal one. You'll pro you'll be fine either way. So, for what yeah. you're wanting to do with it, I think you'll be fine on either way. Yeah, um, it's gonna be wah wah unless I tow the thing down, or I mean, volume unless I tow it down to wah, and then it'll all the way back cocked will be uh, tuner on the in the volume thing, which I I just. I cannot say enough good about the Kemper. That's all I can say. Yeah. So far, it's been a great experience. I'm sure I'm going to run into that sound guy or that yeah, sound I was, girl. I was telling Jim before <laughs> the show. I was telling Jim before the show. He's like, oh, this has been so cool. Like, I don't have to carry all this crap or whatever. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, it's really great. And I'm like, I remember what my experiences like were when I first got it and like started playing out and stuff. 
But I'm like, then you get into the situation where the sound guy sucks or like you come into a place where this PA is not adequate. Like there's yeah. no monitor for you. No and you're like, oh, shit. And uh, I've had that happen too many times around here for me to for me to really like continue doing that full full time. Um, I took it. Oh, I didn't I didn't mention. So I took it to uh, so I wanted to chest that. So I took it to my open mic mm-hmm. um, that I go to sometimes on Thursdays. I haven't been in months. I mean, yeah. like probably close to a year. And so I went to the open mic. I set up the Kemper and they were like, what are you going to take off? You know, all the Star Trek uh, jokes, you know, or st- you're going to fly a starship and everything. Whatever. I plug it in. XLR power. Put, got my uh, cable to my guitar. Start playing. And he was like, holy crap. Everybody commented on how good the tone was. And what's funny is I didn't have a monitor. I was hearing it through the mains. It yeah, was great. The mains, um, but the, were the mains behind you? Yeah, I was lucky enough that the main, well, they were they were they were like close enough that you could get part of the enough. yeah. I was getting the side lobe of what I was getting. <sighs> so but everybody out front said it sounded great. There's one one place they used to go and they they had an open mic and they had very directional mains, yeah, no and no monitor. And the nights where the where the host would bring his monitor, he would bring like three of them, and he'd like try to mix you while you were playing, and it was yeah. like oh my god, dude, just like. Crank the guitar through the monitors. I got to be able to hear it. And, and then if you're playing it. with backing tracks, it makes it worse, which I yeah. was doing at the time. And I was like, oh, my God, like, c- can we like do something gotta, about this? Like, um, yeah, I got to learn how because I know you can run backing tracks through the camper and run them right out. Yeah, there's a way to do it. I forget exactly yeah. what how you do it, but, I, but I figured that out, too. Um, it's post, yeah. But I started doing and that's this. That's a lot of people I, are doing for acoustic. I start well, I actually preferred to have it mixed separately because then I could I, I could have them uh if you had stereo monitors, you could have them pan it, which was nice. Right. But the other thing was I could have um I could have them balance it and I yep. don't have to worry about messing it up on stage and stuff. So I got to the point where I was like, I'll just I'll just run this separate. It's okay. Um yeah. so anyway. Um I want to just do a brief recap of all the other stuff we're going to talk about in this episode. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, and I'm not, I, I know there are titles over on this side of me. Um, they don't necessarily reflect what, what we're actually going to talk about. I, uh, but it's so all, I'll, I'll right kind of go over a little bit. So we're going to talk about um, the unlabeled line in the sand. I actually have to correct one of these as I'm looking at it. Um, I'm glad okay. I have a backup sheet. We have, uh, we're going to talk about unlabeled guitars. Okay. Um, we're going to talk about the line in the sand. So let me fix these while I'm talking about this. Uh, yep. It's good that I can do this while we're live. <laughs> That's, right. Um, That's right. It makes it makes posts so much easier. Unlabeled guitars. Ah, there we go. All right, cool. Fixed. Um, <laughs> the, we're going to talk about unlabeled guitars. We're going to talk about the line in the sand that we draw in terms of what we're willing to do for value. Um, what, what, what are we willing to sacrifice to save a couple bucks? <laughs> right. Um, and probably maybe a better approach to this question is like, what have we sacrificed recently to save a couple bucks? Um, exactly. It's, you know, um, except for your, your Les Paul custom. Cause you didn't, you didn't 
sacrifice anything to save a couple bucks on that, really. <laughs> I did not sacrifice a couple dollars. On that. That, it was, yeah, it was that, quite a few dollars on that. <laughs> it definitely um, didn't come cheap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and then we're also going to talk about Doug Pinnock's um, interview on Philip McKnight, which I haven't seen yet, but but Jim's going to talk about it. I, I have seen Doug live, so... Um, that'll be a, an interesting conversation. And of course, we'll close out the gig report as, as uh, per the usual lately. So uh, with, that, with that being said, we can now move on to segment two, which is unlabeled guitars. So what yes. I want to, I, I just want to define what unlabeled guitars actually are. Um, non-major label guitars. Guitars right. from brands that you haven't heard of before. So like brands like Ibanez and Schecter and... Um, GNL and all these like third tier brands that are kind of below Fender, Gibson, PRS, and and that kind of stuff, they don't count for this. Okay, when we're talking about unlabeled guitars. We're talking about guitars like Shengze, things you've never heard of that probably come from China or somewhere else in the Far East, or even maybe South America or something like that that don't really have any pedigree. And um, we're going to talk specifically, I think, mostly tonight about China because that's been the the hotbed of most of this stuff. And of course, you know, we've, we've been pretty hot and heavy on China guitars for a while, but I want right. to, I think it's important to us to re- revisit this topic every once in a while, because obviously the situation over there changes in terms of what kind of, what kind of instruments are coming out um, and what that quality level is starting to look like. And a lot more major right. manufacturers are starting to move towards Chinese production. It's, it's something that's going to happen, but yeah, in yeah. terms of the unlabeled guitars, these are, uh, we, we watched the same thing happen in Japan, right? In the late seventies where Tokai and all these other companies sort of were at the, you know, the, the bad end of quality in the late sixties, six, early sixties, and then sort of like went down this path of improving and then ultimately became, you know, a marketable commodity um, and did really well. And so like, I think we're still in the sixties for Chinese Chinese guitars. And I think especially the non-labeled stuff. So like Tokai is not Squire Japan. Okay. Um, that way, you, know, right. you know what I mean? Like, um, so that's kind yep. of where I'm getting at with this unlabeled thing. So we'll probably actually stick to using this term on the show in the future, unlabeled guitars. Um, but anyway, so I was watching a video from Phil McKnight and it's an old video. I think it was from like last year where he got a, um, he got a Les Paul custom alike, from Firefly Guitars, which is an Amazon resold brand, but basically it's it's like any other Chinese guitar except it has the Firefly logo on it. Um, in in that in the, how it's constructed, right? So um, I, we know from the Shengze I bought, and from conversations we've had with other people who've bought Chinese guitars in general, they're all basically Epiphones in their construction. Um, some of them might get some things more right towards Gibson spec or whatever. And if, if it's a, if it's a, a Chibson, a, a, you know, a, a Chinese Gibson um, knockoff. And w- it was interesting. Cause like, I, I knew what I was going to get in this video. I've seen enough videos on fireflies to sort of like know where we were headed. Usually microphonic pickups. Um, the fretwork is, is usually decent, but not great. And then like, they have a bone nut. You know, that kind of thing. Sometimes the tuners are janky, like really bad, like, you know, chrome plated plastic stuff, uh, the yep. chrome paint that they put on plastic or whatever it is. 
um, which were which was up was on my Shingze when I took it apart, um, and then usually the the bridge and stuff's not great, but they're they're serviceable, I guess. I mean, unless you get one with a right, warp right. with a warp neck. But what was interesting was um, in this particular video, he take he took he took the pickups out and then he started pointing out that you couldn't see a difference between the top and the body, which meant that there were no separate wood, which is obvious. But that wasn't what got me. Like it's a, it's a custom. You're not going to get, I, I imagine in, a, in an import custom, you're not going to get separate top and, and body woods. What got me was that it wasn't even mahogany. <laughs> it was like, like not even a mahogany lookalike. It was like, here's this, here's this cheap guitar with like, poplar or it wasn't even basswood because basswood is consistent um like the grain is consistent it actually looked like maple or something um it's probably some indigenous species to wherever they made the guitar that they call maple because uh, that's a lot, a lot of what, what happens in this in the uh in the lower end guitars in the market is they use one word but what they really mean is like well our local version of um right. but i i just sat there and i thought about it and i went wait a minute i remember these guitars being advertised as mahogany bodies and that's clearly not mahogany. No. Um, and so I mentioned it to you because I was I was messaging on Facebook. And uh, and then you said, well, you should watch this other channel and their teardown of their pickups. You want to yeah. take over? and Yeah. So this guy, this guy, Jim Dar uh, and uh, with two R's. So he took um, one of the pickups apart. He didn't just take it apart. He literally cut it in half. So what he did was, because um, he said, Jesus is microphonic. And he said, later in the video, you'll find out why it's microphonic. And it's actually a two-part thing where he takes this Firefly ES-335, by the way, mm -hmm. apart. And he's like, I can't figure out why this is microphonic. He goes, the the wire is enough. It's, it's scattered around. It's scattered around right. He goes, maybe it's not as good of copper. So he cut, he literally cut the, first he thought it was, like I said, not wax potted. It was obviously waxed. He cut the wire and he pulled, you could see where he frayed the wire open. And he was like, maybe it's, the metal isn't good enough. Then he goes, he took out the slugs and the magnet. So here's what he found. One, the magnet on the, if you just look at it, you'd say, well, it's a good magnet. It wasn't a great magnet. It wasn't a good magnet at all. And then worse, the slugs. These are the pole pieces, by the way, guys, if you don't know what those are. So he took out the slugs. They were berry metal. So they were made of this stuff that was a super light material that it's had metal chrome, in it. Chrome-plated plastic. Yeah, it was effectively a chrome-plated plastic-feeling stuff. And, he, and so what he did was he found that that that's what the you know literally the problem was you can buy, you can wax pot something that's a piece of shit that's just going to be a wax potted piece of shit so the fact is that wax potting is not the panacea we all want to think it is oh if i wax pot this what does wax potting do i'm not, i'm asking you because i know but what does wax potting do keeps the wires from vibrating moving keeps, that's right keeps it from vibrating the whole feedback thing, right? The whole mm -hmm. feedback loop. Keeps the wires from vibrating. Because, and, and Ryan pointed this out. I thought this was good, actually, in Ryan's recent Firefly on uh, 360 cycle hum. Um, he goes, this is the kind of feedback you don't want. This is the this is the pickup feeding back. 
And then he goes, there's the string feeding back. Notice the difference. And it was, it's very audible, really good, really good job Ryan did there. <clears throat> and um, so what's happening is the pickup itself is feeding back. Well, if you wax pot this thing, you're not keeping this thing that you put in there that no matter how much wax you put on it, it's still going to vibrate internally because it's barely made of metal. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? He, what, so, what he was probably getting from the microphonics is probably the actual, the the lightweight slugs just bouncing against the right. um, the magnet, which would explain why everybody yeah. says those pickups are microphonic, except for right. the one guy that popped up in somebody's video in the comments was like, my pickups yeah. are the best pickups I own. And I'm like, <laughs> I think it was Ryan. What? Somebody, somebody got him and he says, he was mad because they weren't microphonic. It's like, I thought you said they were microphonic. Well, maybe you should go try them again because they probably are microphonic. You know um, what I like? Uh, another thing I liked about his video before we keep going about the microphonic action that was cool. And I like the microphonic pickup because of this. He put it up to his face. He turned the, the amp and way spoke up, through it. Put, and he spoke to it. I was like, that's the sound you hear. Like in a lot of these intros where somebody's singing through something yeah. that doesn't sound quite right. It's a microphonic pickup is what they're singing. That's what it felt like There's to me. I was like, There's a fly cool. buzzing around me if you're running, wondering why I'm yeah, reaching I, for the I, air. Yeah, I just had a gnat over here. That's why I was yeah. looking down there. We're both doing the same thing. It's like you're giving me the gnats to your display <laughs> or something. I don't know. Um, and so, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. But anyway, yeah. that that um, So Jim Dar took the guitar. Now, he literally took the guitar completely apart. This guy is, is, he's, if you watch the channel, by the way, it, I, I do recommend it, but he's very dull. Like, like he talks like this the whole time. He does not change the way his pitch moves. So you got to be ready for that. He's very, you know, Bueller, Bueller in his delivery. That said, the guy ha um, does do a good job of taking things apart. Um, and I've been watching the guitarista as well. Um, and each of them are doing kind of the same thing in that they're taking these things apart and, and taking these budget guitars, tearing them apart, comparing them. Um, but uh, what he's not doing, he's not lying about it, saying it's as good as this. He's saying, for this much money, I can do these things. But here's the thing that I noticed, and there's a lot of these guitar guys, and, and even Ryan recently said this, although Ryan's was a little bit closer to the truth is hey you can always put money into this make it better and we talk about that a lot that's we're going to get to that with our line in the sand so um it's like yeah but you have a guitar pickup winder you have you know i mean not everybody has a, a crock pot they want to throw beeswax into or whatever you know right the, right not beeswax it's um you know what kind of wax whatever yeah but, whatever kind of hot uh, pot that you would yeah, use paraffin. That. paraffin. That's what I was thinking. And you, yeah, you just need a little crock pot. You can get the smallest crock pot you want, heat it up, and put. But who wants to cook food in it now? I don't know. I don't know. Is it is that have, easy? Having to done, having I done this, I can tell you, it's actually not as easy as just throwing it in there. But but there's there's a, there's a bit of science to it. But it, yeah. yeah, I mean, the vast majority of us don't have the means to create our own pickups at home. Um, not right. that you couldn't. Uh, I know of, right. I know of a man who has done just that, um, but uh, you know, it, and you can buy kits on Amazon. I mean, you can buy a kit to to if that's something you want to get into. And I don't I don't um, you know uh, think that that's a bad idea for people that want to get into it. Go for it. You know, you know I sure sure. Good. 
All right. But, so here's um here's how I I, I kind of want to frame this as I'm as I'm thinking about this conversation and thinking about Firefly specifically. So yeah. we've talked about, of course, in recent months, and I'm sure people are going to be listening to this going, you guys have just done this story to death. Like, we have. And it's because it's a big issue in the community right now. I mean, um, if you don't believe me, I watched a video of Nick in the States who does a lot of Chinese guitar reviews, or did anyway. He's, he's slowed down significantly. Um, yeah. I think he's got health call, health issues or something. But anyway. Yeah. Um, I was watching the uh, I was watching a video where he was talking about a return to YouTube and like he was saying basically that the reason why he still focuses on inexpensive guitar reviews is because that's what's given him like the most views. When he buys Gibsons, he's like I get maybe eight hundred views. He's like if I buy a Harley Benton, he's like I get like ten thousand views. Yeah. So he's like, well, yeah. what am I going to do? Am I going to buy Gibsons or am I going to buy Harley Bentons? You know, it, it's a no-brainer. The Harley Benz is a hell of a lot cheaper. You can buy twenty of them for the price of a Gibson. Um, uh, yeah. So, I think that's something that, like, it's interesting to it's interesting to note in this is like, if you're going to ask us why we continue to beat this dead horse, it's because I still get questions from people all the time. If I go to an open mic or whatever, and I'm talking to somebody, like, you ever tried a Harley Benton? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Um, you know, you've got a you got a Fender Strat there right now. Why are you looking at Harley Benton? Like, you know, it's like that's the kind of that's the and I feel like that when we do this on the show too. We're we're supposed to be practical guitarists, and um, we've said that practical meant you know practicing musicians, but it also means that like just being practical and stop and think about right. that for a minute. Does it make sense for somebody who is a practicing musician, i.e., somebody who gigs and or records and actually does like make some sort of money off of their music, which I'm still struggling to do that. Um, make some sort of money off their music. Do they really want to buy a tool that they can't rely on or that they, or is not adequate for producing the musical vision that is, that is giving them finances? Um, I can say this. I've never seen a gigging player around here. And I actually can say, I've never actually seen a gigging guitarist on YouTube and in a performance, either in the studio or live, playing a Harley Bentner less. Okay. Yep. I've seen Squire. I've actually seen Squire. I have never seen someone playing a Harley Benton on stage and, you know, in, in any capacity other than, yep. you I know. I, I want to tell one Squire uh, actual um, story that I saw. Um, so for one of the bands, we do the song Stars by Grace Potter and the Nocturnals. Right. And she has a live thing where she's doing it on one of those Apple live things or whatever. She's performing live. And the bass player, like, think is left-handed. He's playing a Squire bass, left-handed Squire bass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's doing this live for someone that makes a few more dollars than most of us do when she's gigging. I yeah. think she made more money on that gig than a lot of us make in a year. And so um, uh, I'm joking mostly, but um, I want to bet she made a few thousand dollars to sit there and, and sing three songs. Um, sure. At uh, this thing. And the point is, and it was a bass player with a squire. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Which, so. which listen, um, I'm not saying you shouldn't play Harley Benton. No, I'm saying, you should just 
do what you need to do to be practical. Um, and that's right. why the next segment is the line in the sand. What are we willing to sacrifice? Because we do have to sacrifice things for value times. Listen, if right. I could if I could buy the crap I wanted to play, I'd have a couple of PRS core models. I'd have, you know, probably one of each of the Mesa Boogie lined up, maybe except the California because it's not my favorite one that they are doing right now. But like, yep. but I don't, I don't have unlimited funds. And I'd have an, <laughs> I'd have an R7, I'd have an R8, I'd have an R9, I'd have a 355. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it, this one was cheap compared to an R8 or an R9. So I'm just saying that, that anyway, there are, there are lines. With regards to um, the, the line, the like where the low end of the market is willing to go in terms of convincing people that they're higher quality – that's what scares me the most. And that's something you, you actually touched on this morning in our conversation, which is that like they are now getting to the point where they will color a wire so that it looks more yeah. like form bar um, right. so that you can't tell what it is and that kind of stuff. Or even using like plastic slugs instead of, you know, real slugs <laughs> or, right. you know, some sort of, you know, like um, air impregnated iron so that they can get um i think my apple tv just started on its own um i believe i can i believe i can kill it from my phone so let me do that one take over yeah, for the, a i mean the, the slugs were were like a pop metal instead of real metal and and uh, what i what i want to get at is i i saw a um while we're talking about this and before we go to the line in the sand this is, this is what I want to say. So I was watching a channel because I watch a lot of technology channels. And I was watching a channel where um, this guy was talking about Amazon creating products that were alikes to other products. And Amazon finding out, hey, this is a high seller. Let's make something that looks like it. From everything from dishes to soap to whatever, right? If it was popular, Amazon came out with an Amazon Basics version of it. So here's my point, and I, and and this takes us out of the guitar world. Let's come out of the guitar world for just a minute. And and you did a great thing with the Japanese stuff. I can tell you this: in the '60s and the and the early '70s, people made fun of the Japanese products. Okay, we're talking about cars. We're talking about anything. Everything came from Japan was garbage, but it looked like the other stuff. And this is what I was getting at: it looked like the other stuff. So then Japan figured out, wait a minute, we can do this for less money. We can do it for, and, and less money meant more efficiency. And I want to get to the 80s at this point. So Japan went from being a Toyota Corolla for being a piece of garbage to actually being a really nice car. Okay. And Honda to being one of the best cars that you can buy. What, keeping its value, right? We all know that. All right. So uh, there was a movie in the 80s where... Michael Keaton, he plays yeah, it's this guy. Gung that's Ho. Gung Ho. Gung Ho. Thank you. Gung Ho. So Michael Keaton is playing this guy that's in charge of. Um, uh, it's basically the, know, the, it's the, it's the Toyota story. Right. It's it, the Toyota story. They come over and they. And Americans, this is the thing that, that, that I think hasn't happened yet in the guitar industry that has to happen is Americans fought the um, the fight that said, we have to do it the American way. And the 
Japanese guys came in to train them. And you remember it was it was a funny movie. If you don't you haven't watched it yet, it's a good comedy. Watch it. It's a good movie, but it has a very good point, and that is that that the Americans had to stop and take their pride and throw it out the window and learn that there were more efficiencies that could be done and they could do things better with with at higher quality if they just see past their own inefficiencies and their own, you know, uh uh it's about pride. Ego. Yeah, yeah ego, it was about pride, pride and, e- and ego there. I mean, that was yeah. like, and we're and we're definitely dealing with that here in the states right now. I mean, um, how many of us <laughs> are, are still talking about like when you buy a guitar? Oh, was this? Did they use pin router and templates? I've seen that conversation come up. Why would you want pin routers used on your stuff? Like, I'm just I'm just flabbergasted. Think about what that actually means. All right. That means that you're going to get a guitar that is different than every other guitar in that line. But it also means that you're going to have a lot more crap in that line, too. So why would you want to make guitars with pin routers? Like, I'm just not I don't follow that logic. And there's so amplifiers is a little bit different because I because I've been looking at deluxe reverbs lately and like I'm not buying one. Fully admitting I'm not buying one. Um but I was thinking about it and I'm like, wait a minute, but they aren't different or they are different than the originals. And like, you know, the, this whole, this whole idea that like there are actual physical differences. Whereas when you're buying a strat, I mean, a strat's a strat's a strat to an extent and there are little differences, but it's not like in an amplifier where they've changed the output stage or something like that. And it basically changes the entire tonality of it. Um, so in terms of, um, a comparison between what we do in the States versus what they do over there, like, I don't think there's a whole lot of comparison for efficiency because we buy inefficiency here. People are like, no, I want it to be inefficient. I want literally a pin routed guitar. I want a guitar that was shaped by hand. I want like, like being shaped by hand means that there's more attention to detail I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand the logic and that, there. And that goes back to what w- that story about you want a Wednesday guitar. You want a, tu- a Tuesday through Thursday guitar because uh, Monday was a boring day. or They just came back with a hangover or whatever. And Friday, they're worried about getting out the door. Remember? And and so we get to – I'm going to I'm gonna be honest. Okay, I got five guitars, six guitars hanging behind me right now. Every seventh that, that say Gibson on the headstock. I, I'm going to be totally honest with you. Okay. I love every one of them, but I also know they're not perfect. And to some people, not worth the money I paid for them, much less the money that they charge for them because I got a discount on every one of them. All right. <clears throat> and the fact is that uh, I see all those things and I understand them. And we're we're talk we're getting are we in the line of the sand yet? No, um, not yet. We're heading there though. Not yet. I'll talk about that when I get to the line of the sand because of what I expected and what I was willing to draw in the sand. And there's so many things I think that that's that's what we have when it comes to that. Now that's all that said. I I also appreciate the fact that PRS is like exacting. I mean, those guys are you know. Exactly. I mean, they're and, they're and, seeing seeing everything they can that makes sense. That's right. Um, 
Now, I even think that like getting so I have worked in places that are related to the aerospace industry, and mm-hmm. I know what's possible with CNC. And like yep. when I see when I hear you know Paul say, "Well, we still hand shaped the next because that's really the only way to do it," I kind of laugh because I'm like, "That's not why you hand shaped the next." There's another reason for it that you don't want to disclose because you can you can use a CNC machine to do more than rough shape a neck. You can get it basically to come out the same way every single time you make a guitar. You can. Let's face it. The Fireflies, to make a semi-hollow guitar, a 335 copy, for under $200, that thing is made by a machine from from almost – Exclusive. I would say there would be less than two hours worth of hand labor in that. Yeah. And that might be putting in the electronics. I mean, have you ever tried to route the electronics to one of those things? Um, that might oh, be God. putting in the um, the electronics and the hardware and getting it out the door. Yeah. And there's no way a person is sitting there and setting it up. That's being done by a machine, too, which I don't have. Look, that's not me saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that that's probably a reality is that, like you said, there's probably two hours of putting that thing together that's uh, got to do with uh, hand hand work. And I mean, like, I would think that everything is CNC up until the electronics install at the end, to be honest with you, because that is something that has to be done by hand. But the um, like even the paint doesn't even even the binding like that was another thing. So Trogley did that video where they were looking at the um, the centipede Les Paul with the broken headstock. And it had yellow, yeah. and it had yellow binding, and he's going, "Well, there's they they painted this binding, they painted this binding." I don't think they did. I think that I think that binding was yellow when they put it on, and I think, and I honestly yeah. think that that whole series was red, green, yellow binding that they were that mm-hmm. they were installing themselves because um, if they were doing that by hand painting, so it would be an issue with the the black Overspray. layer and the overspray right. and. They're not. They're not spray painting that bind, that binding, not masking it, no and way. then yeah, they could I don't be think dying, so. They could be dying white binding. Yeah, to put I, I, one thing I was thinking was like maybe it's dye. Yeah. Um, and then but they there's could, no f way they painted that binding. There's no f way. I bet you if he took a piece of that binding, pulled it off, cut it, he'd find the white inside, the cream yeah. filling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that what you're saying, it will wear down to white, and I'm going. That's because yeah. you're wearing through the, right. the the either the dye or the outer layer of the right. the binding, but the inside plastic is always going to be white. Right. Um, so because because binding is not like a fancy material; it's plastic. No, um, yep. people tend to think that it's like bone or something. It's like no, yeah, it's not no, even ivoryed. It's, it's, it's plastic. Soft plastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Good, it's, well, the Les Paul binding is Well, back in the day, they used to use harder materials because it was supposed to protect the guitar. But now it's all ornamental. Whenever you see binding, it's totally oh, yeah. ornamental. Because um, oh, yeah. so. I've got – there's a piece of my binding on my Les Paul, my number one, that got chipped somehow. I did something to it. I don't know. It's just a little spot. It's one I can see, and I'm like, drives me bananas because I can see it. Right. Nobody, everybody's like, there's a chip in there? I said, yeah. Look. All right, it's time Remember for us. Say, it's time for us to switch gears. We're going to talk about our line uh, our line in the sand, and I think Jim's really excited about this topic because he keeps saying I line am. in the sand. And um, so basically, the, <laughs> the the genesis behind this was like, yeah, okay, so like Chinese guitars aren't great. We know this, 
Um, yep. And we were just kind of like, what could you get away with and save some money on that you're willing to do? And actually, I kind of think it'd be more interesting to talk about things we actually have done to save money that have worked out for yeah. us, um, especially as, you know, like having gigs. And I think the first one for you is probably the Kemper. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I was telling you today um, on my way to church, I had two I, for the first time ever. I fit everything in two hands. I had the Kemper and all the wires and everything that goes with that in one hand. And I had a guitar in the other hand. And that's all I needed. And that that never happens with me. <clears throat> Ever. And uh, I was over the moon. Because everything sat in the passenger seat. I put the seat belt around it. Got in the driver's seat and went. And I got out, took it in. Took it back out. It was such a breeze. You're not going to buy an HX Stomp here. You're not not talking me out of one. (laughs) I know. I'm not going to try to talk you out of one. I think it's a great idea. Um, Yeah. I mean, the line in the sand for me was how realistic. And I had this conversation as recently as last week with local musicians. How realistic do I need my tone on stage? And we, oh, man, we went back and forth like you wouldn't believe. And... The one person that I thought would be against me was actually for me. He said, man, I need to get one of those. And he was like, but I've watched, he watches Rhett Schull. And, um, Brett didn't I, and like the, the, Brett didn't like the stage, which is like so stage, funny he because like he actually uses them. Yeah, it's funny. Um, but he has a line six helix. And I said to, I said to, um, he's my co-guitarist in the band. And he says, uh, I'm thinking about getting the line sick. I said, dude, would it get whatever one you want? If you like Rhett's tones, fine. I said, but I can tell you this. I could never get Rhett's tones out of what I was playing. And we play Les Paul's and he plays some freaking hipster guitar that you've yeah, never heard of. Single so coils I'm or P90s, saying, right? Yeah. I, I'm just saying that if you're going to take your Squire, sure, you might get the sound out of it. But I don't, I don't know if you're going to get the tones you want with your Les Paul. I'm not saying you won't. But you can contact Rhett. You know, you can reach out to him. I said, he's not not a guy that's like a superstar. Believe me. <clears throat> you can reach out to the guy and, and ask him, say, hey, I got your, I want to buy your bundle. I've got Les Pauls. What, what should I get? I said, the, the thing that I did was I got that. I did buy Rhett's bundles. I probably could just give them to him. I don't know. Um, and because uh, I'm not using them. Um, and uh, so anyway, I bought the Tone Junkies bundle. I bought every bundle. Every time I've gotten one of these damn things, the TC Electric or the TC Helicon, I have those bundles. <laughs> he I buys all the presets. And, and I, I buy and all these he, presets. I load them up. Everybody's like, "Oh, it's a breeze." Just throw these presets on. You're all set. Jim, you bought the you bought the Tone Junkie presets before the Heli or the, before the uh, the Kemper even showed up. I did. That's why I was I like, did. dude. I, I honestly, we were having that conversation. I was like, "Why did you buy these?" Like. You yeah. haven't even tried it out yet. Like, I know. slow down, boy. Um, I loaded what ten of them? Five of the um, the King of Tone uh, included. Uh, four of them were King of Tone nineteen sixty eight plexi. Right, right. One the purple plexi. A, yep, the purple plexi. With one is the purple plexi clean. That purple plexi man. Four with the King of Tone, all at different gain stages. And I'll explain why yeah, you at can... another time. Because you each gain stage, it's different. It's very important that you get each one instead of just yeah. putting one gain stage so, trying to so use the, Kemper, the gain knob. Yeah, so the Kemper gain knob only really works for 
you can, and I have gotten usable tones out of it in an ex- in its extremes. Right. But if you stay within like ten or fifteen percent of the profile's slated gain thing, it's way more right. realistic. It's way more realistic. Yeah, way more realistic, and it's really more like. I use it for like I've got the Strat or I've got the Les Paul, right? So I give a little more gain to the Strat, a little less to the Les right. Paul, right? Because you'd have different settings and, when you plug the guitar, those guitars in anyway. So yeah, and it's really minor. I mean, so minor. So anyway, point is, I bought all of Tone Junkies things, and I said, okay, load up what you think is going to work, the ones you think he, you know, he recommends for you, and then put those on there. And then if you like it, great. If you don't like it, return it and get a camper. I'm just saying. I said, and then if you don't, I said, as a matter of fact, borrow my camper, try it, see what you think. And then if you like it, yeah, just get one. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, um, uh, he, we were we were talking about that. And the fact is that when I got this, I took the Tone Junkie um, HW, which I'd love to get back on the show now that I've had. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, loaded it up. And, you know, boom, I'd love to get him and Michael Britt together yeah. on there. That'd be fun. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, it's it's just one of those things where it was just out of the box. It was just so easy. Um, so my line in the sand, though, is, um, and this is the discussion I had with people. They were like, well, I can't do it because my, um, you know, if I don't have my amp with me, it's not going to feel the same. It's not going to sound the same. So, <laughs> And I said, and I get it. I get that. I really do. But who, and I said to them, I said, who's more important? You or the people out there? Because every time you walk, here's the thing. Here's the thing I said to him. I said, I said, do this with your hand. I said, here's your voice. So do this. Right. And it, and it, it, it makes us, it, it makes a sound. I said, that's you walking in front of your amp and you don't get it. You don't get it. Cause you're like, well, I mic'd up my amp. True, you mic'd up your amp, but you also have the amp of your or the sound of your amp in the room. I said, and you're not playing big places. And there are times, tell me there are not times where you go, nah, this place is too small, I'm not gonna mic up my amp. Well, and, so so that that's a whole other that's a whole other ball of wax. I, yeah. the only place I won't mic up my amp, and I have gotten into like arguments with people about this. But the yeah. only place I will not mic up my amp is an open mic or an open jam. I have gotten right. to the point where it's like, guys, there is no way in hell you are going to get it. So my amp is not stepping on the vocalist because just the frequencies I use, like right. you're going to have to mic it and you're going to have to pan it somewhere. You can't yeah. have it out front because you need that clarity. And right. especially it's like every bass player I've ever played with wants to go to the board. And if you're going to go to the board through, you know, like with a direct out on your on your thing so that you can get the most out of the PA, then the guitar has got to be in there, too. OK, that's right. And so that you're talking about the phasing issues of walking around in front of your amp. You can fix that. I have an easy way to fix gonna... that. Put up a put up plexi. Um, yep. So but that being said, you're still going to have we to have an that amp that has the volume is too is is. You're going to need a lot of wattage because you're going to be pushing a lot of volume to get past the plexi and to even things out. That, but 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 you're you you are partially right in saying this is really about the audience, and I'll tell you why you're wrong when you're ready. But let me yeah, but let me finish. So the guy's willing to use a katana, but not using willing to use a camper, and that's where I was like, (laughs) that just. 
That just doesn't make any right. sense whatsoever. Two things. To me. Two things. Um, and, and so I'm going to get into the other thing because you're right. The phasing thing is a is a it's a minor issue, by the way. Yeah, it's super minor. Super minor. Yeah. Here's the this other is the issue. this is the reason that's hilarious. Money. Yeah. That's the go, reason gonna, that's hilarious. Yeah, I'm going to go to the other side of it though. And that is that they're like, well, I can mic up. And I'm said, you're right. You can mic up and you can always mic up. And there's no problem with micing up. People do it every time, every day, all the time. It's about how, um, you know, how, uh, well, are you going to, uh, are you going to mic that up every time? So now what you're saying is you don't care about the tone in the front of the house. You care about your tone. Cause that mic, even if you have an X on that thing, don't tell me that, that, cause he's talking about Joe Bonamassa and all about Joe Bonamassa. Do, do, do you have a sound guy that follows you around you from gig a, to gig? Do you have an amp tech? Do you have yeah. a sound guy? Hey, I don't, shut I don't up. Very much have and, oh, oh, Jim, he uses a Palmer DI. That yeah. That's the even better part, you idiot. Like, <sighs> I I just had to laugh because of the fact that he doesn't. And, and finally, he admitted, I'm 68 years old. I'm not going to learn anything new. I was that, like, finally, finally. <laughs> it's that's gone. your line in the sand. <laughs> it's that's gone. why I was talking about the line in the sand. Yeah. There's your line in the sand. You don't want to spend the money. And you don't want to learn anything new, you know. And and I hate to say and it. It's okay. That's I hate okay. to say it, but that's kind of a bullshit but, answer too, though. Yeah, like, but stop making all those other things are excuses for I'm too old and stuck in my ways. Right. That's what I was gonna say. That. All right. So for those of you who have not played around with a katana, katanas are not the easiest amp in the world to get along with. They're no. easier than other digital amps. But you still have stacked delay reverb and stacked yep. um, modulation effects. Yep. You have stacked drive effects. You have to know how to navigate those. If you want to use all of the stuff in the system, you still have to plug it into a computer. Like you got to wrap your head around that. I think are they? Do they have Bluetooth now on the on the Katana too? No, I didn't think no. so. No. I didn't think so. But but my point is, somebody to sit there and say, well. This is obviously the solution for me because I don't want to learn anything new. And then they talk about a katana, which is a digital apparatus with software and all this other crap. It's like it ain't really that much different, dude. And then on right. top of it, the real reason um, that it drove me crazy and I pulled out money from my wallet right. is because my wallet's in the house. This is what what you need to think about. There's a guy with a two hundred fifty to at max $500 amp. The yeah. highest katana in the line is 500 bucks. Yeah. Saying that's not my solution yeah. is better than your solution. Right. And it's like, dude, this is first off, this isn't a dick measuring contest. I've never I've never walked in and gone, "Man, my amp is so much cooler than that guy's amp." Unless his amp is underpowered. Okay. Right. That's that is an issue. I've actually been kind of like sneering at people, like, dude, you can't play a twenty watt solid state amp on a stage like this. And I have seen people try to do that. Um, yeah. recent, recently, in fact. Uh, but there's a guy that I play Most with. People try to use a spark, so don't get me started. Yeah, there's a guy I play with locally. He's got a katana, and it actually it actually cuts mustard, and it's it's loud enough. Um, <laughs> we don't have the phasing issues. The place where we end up playing is usually, you know, there's we're not micing amps. Um, and it's, it's fine. Like, but it's because the way that space is set up, it's very reflective. 
and mm-hmm. it's a big open stage and it works out really well. Um, you bring an amp with about 52 watts and you're good to go, you know, between, between yeah. 30 and 50 watts and you're good to go. Um, I've seen people put 15 watt amps on the stage and get, get, uh, tube, 15 watt tube amps on the stage and just get disappear. Um, yeah. so you gotta be real careful about, about your, your volume level there. But I mean, this basically, you can get away with it, right? Long story short, you can get away with it. That's right. So here's where. Um, here's where I laugh at, at, at your line in the sand on this. It's like your, your comment to him was like, who are you playing for? Are you playing for the audience or are you playing for yourself? And everybody right. nobly wants to say I'm playing for the audience, but I will pause it. I don't play for the audience so much as I, um, it's a 50, 50 proposition. So when I go out and I play, if I am to, if I am to stand on the stage and play well, and you want to get a good performance out of me, you're going to need to excite me a little bit. I got to have something that that pushes me and inspires me to be the best guitarist I can be. And a lot of the situations I tend to play in are, used, are usually somewhat improvisational. And a lot of that's not just feel from the audience. I was playing to an audience this weekend that was basically, they were watching. They weren't like cheering and throwing their hands up or anything. So I'm kind of like, huh. Eh. I still and, like and that it, tree song. That's a that's a hook. That's a good hooky song. Yeah, they, that's an enjoyable song. They really should try to pedal that song to somebody because that's a fun song. We're gonna get we're gonna get really? to the end of the we're gonna get to the end of this. We'll talk about the gig report, but um, the main thing is that like at least if I'm having a good time, that translates to the audience because you right. can see me like my eyes roll back in my head like a mentat from Dune, and I'm just rocking and rolling like it's the, it's what happens um and uh that's what i'm trying to convey with that is that like i'm not saying you're wrong jim but i'm no, saying that like no, there's know, a big portion of that that people forget about when they hear that it's that's like, exactly right this is this is what i wanted it, when we first started this channel folks one of the things that that we talked about early on was that that david and i play very different types of music come from very different backgrounds. David plays improvisational, if I can get that out without spitting over my uh, drink here, improvisational music that that comes from his heart, right? Yeah, and, it comes from my gut, for sure. And, and, and when we first started this, you were playing very uh, uh, metal, black metal, um, or death metal, uh, I was uh, playing a lot more progressive music. I wouldn't call it death metal or anything like that, but it was a lot lot more progressive than what I am am now, which is more, um, more on the blue side of things, probably more oriented than I basically just came to terms with who I am. (laughs) Right. And and doing it very well. I don't, I I have no, and I can tell when I watched you on the, the recording, which we'll talk about later, you were having a lot of fun. I could tell that, even though I know there were probably some things, no oh. gigs that were, <laughs> we're getting <you> know, there, <laughs> but it was fun being had, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I can tell you right now, there's times I don't even hear myself. I'm just having a blast on stage. But I am so when I was brought into this band, and and the reason that I work with this band, there's another guy over there doing all the heavy guitar lifting. I mean, he's doing. All the heavy lifting. So you're focusing I, on background vocals and filling things out. You're, I'm doing right. I'm the guy doing all the chords when he's got to go to a solo. I'm the guy doing all the pads. I'm the guy 
doing all the high harmonies. Um, I'm the I'm the guy that's that's literally running around. I'm the Angus Young to his Malcolm Young. I mean, but the difference is he's playing all of Angus's part and I'm playing Malcolm's parts. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I'm more of the Keith Richards than than anything. <laughs> and and so and no one's gonna sit there and go, well, Keith Richards sucks. I mean, yeah, Keith Richards kind of sucked. In the beginning, he did kind of suck. I was watching a channel when they were talking about guitarists who weren't that great. Keith Richards is not great. But Keith Richards, without Keith Richards, the Stones weren't the Stones, right? And so we've got to think about what kind of world we're going to leave for Keith Richards when we all die. But anyway, so the the um, <laughs> the the thing is that I, that's me. And sometimes I don't even hear myself. I'm just playing. And I'm playing from memory, and I'm playing. I know I'm. I know I'm playing in G. I'm supposed to be on G. I'm playing a G chord somewhere, and so I, I know I'm on the neck, and I know what I'm doing, and I know that it goes from G to C to D to whatever. I, I know where I am, and in the song, and there's sometimes it's about the look on my face. It's about the way that I I work with the lead singer who's who's standing there, who would be bare naked if it wasn't for me running around him almost literally in a circle. And so, yes, my guitar tone is 100% about them because right. I don't care. I just don't care. I don't care. And that is my line in the sand. And so when people go to me, they go, Jim, do you do? I go, you know what? All I want to do is get a decent guitar tone. It doesn't sound like it sucks. That's why it amazed me because I literally don't care. It amazed me that I couldn't get anything out of a freaking Helix that I didn't like. I was like, I don't care. And this still sucks. I mean, it's like, how does somebody who, who isn't so refined, I'm not that guy who goes, all right, I got to get this exact thing. Unless I'm doing a duet. <laughs> yeah, and you are. But we're going to talk about the differences there, and I and I want you to talk about them. Unless I'm sitting there with, with Joe, and we're doing this guitar thing, like when we do um, Stairway, to, um, Stairway to Freebird, when we do both songs back-to-back, then, yeah, I have to make sure that... I'm not I'm not stepping on him, he's not stepping on me. There's a lot of times during the gig. I'm just this is a big example of where I'm not padding. I'm actually filling apart. And then when we're when he's doing the solo over, and then when we start doing this, yeah, when we're yeah. both playing G major pentatonic, and yet we gotta sound like two guitars, not one. Otherwise right. it sounds like a clanging mess, right? Right. So that's my point. That's that's my line in the sand. All right. Go ahead. Because right. I think it's important to what you do. You had, a, re you had a really great anecdote. I was thrilled to, to share a lot there. Um, so my whole thing, and I'm looking down at my feet because there's usually a pedal board below me. Yeah. <laughs> there is, but it's a looper <laughs> and a beat buddy and my one spot. But pedal yeah, board is actually looper. over to this side of me. Um, my Kepper's here, my looper's so, here. I made a we've been we've been doing this show for a long time and there was a time this is this is so this is how long we've been doing this show um there was a time period in the beginning where I was like spending way more money than Jim on gear just left and right buying stuff and it ended with the Kemper really um but but there was like I know that right after we started the show I probably spent a thousand dollars on pedals and then I sold, oh, yeah. I sold everything and I, I bought, sold? I bought a Helix and then yeah. I, 
I ran that for like two years and I, I, I bought probably four or five guitars in that time period. And I don't own any of that stuff anymore. Okay. Um, yeah. And, oh, they're, they're feeding my, my felines. That's um, cool. This is cool. This is cool. This is happening on the show right now live, feeding the felines. That's cool. Um, so. They got to eat. Yeah, felines <laughs> got to eat too. Um, anyway, long story short, um, I was buying all this stuff and I felt really bad about it because I'm like, I don't really, like, I'm not even playing out at that time, you know, and I was just kind of like right. trying to put something together. So, and then we tease you, Jim, all the time about buying, you know, Les Pauls and stuff. You have definitely spent more money than me on this show. However, you're at a different place in your life. You know, you're you're basically empty nesting. Like, yep. um, I you, am. you got, you I got really am. you're in the same field as me, but you're 20 years my senior. So, which means you're 20 years senior on the pay scale. And so there's like, that's a big part of this, right? Like, I don't, I don't think people really necessarily realize that you'll get to a point in your life where you're probably going to be making more money than you're making right now. And that's when you're going to be buying stuff. So anyway, long story short, um, I did have to make hard choices. Okay. And I did have to draw a line in the sand and start making some decisions about what worked for me. And I think the best anecdote I can share for people is if, if you remember, I had the Trio 43 pedal board. That might have predated mm-hmm. the show. I might have had that before the show. But it was so big. It was so big. My arms stretched out this far. That's could, right. Could barely lift it. Okay. And how many, literally, let, let's talk about this. How much money was in pedals on that board? Take a guess. Three grand. In today's three, money. Three grand. In today's oh, money. Uh, probably 3,500 bucks. Yeah, I had okay. an eight hundred dollar switcher. I had yeah. Chase Bliss pedals, multiple Chase Bliss pedals. Um, I had probably eight or nine other hundred dollar to two hundred dollar pedals. Um, did you have any Strifecta stuff? I had no, I did not. But I did have the DD five hundred, okay. and I had two power yep. supplies. I had, of course, the 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 trio board itself is not cheap. Um, yep. The Trio 43. I bought the bag for it, which complete garbage. I would not recommend anyone buy anything from Temple Audio. Um, I, if you want to know why, slide into my DMs. Send me a DM, private message on Facebook, and I will tell you why you should not buy uh, Temple stuff. Because because Temple Temple is not Temple is not no. Uh, anyway, yeah. So about thirty five hundred bucks, I would say, all told. Yeah. yeah. Um. And I had, at the time I was running the Mark 525 and I had a big boy recto cab, one by 12. And I was living the dream. Like I was like, I was all under the impression like, well, you need to have two fuzz pedals. I got to have, I got to have a fuzz face style pedal. And I also have to have a big muff style pedal. Like yeah. I need to have. But that kind of makes sense. I need to have three different drives. I, well, yeah, but so it makes sense because I'm rationalizing it. Right. Um, I need to have three different drives. I need a distortion mm-hmm. pedal, three drives, a distortion, and two fuzzes. Okay. Now and you're now you're five starting to step over dirt pedals. Been. Okay. I yeah. had yeah. delay. I had a DD five hundred um, for reverb. I was using a Digitech Supernatural, which I got new old stock. Mm-hmm. And then I had yeah. um, I had a Gaia Tone Slow Volume, which is a slow gear copy. I'm trying to think yeah. about the last incarnation of this board. Actually, one of my drives probably counts as two drives because I had the brothers. 
which was yeah. I was going to say you got the draw. brothers back, I, right? I, yeah. No, I do not have the brothers back. Um, oh, which one did you get back? The Ethos the... Overdrive. I oh yeah. Ethos. So I had the Ethos Overdrive on that board too. I forgot. So I had the Ethos let's Overdrive. Not, let's the not brothers. That Ethos Overdrive costs like six hundred something bucks. I had the right? Ethos Overdrive, the brothers, and some and like a different drive every month. I was just trying different drives out, and uh, I just got to the point where like. At, at some point, it just became like, dude, this is ridiculous. When I went to go put it in the back seat or the back of my Passat in the trunk and I couldn't get it in there, I was yeah. like, no, no, we can't keep doing this. So then I, tra- I, I, I did I did the sensible thing and I said, I got the ES8 switcher. I got MIDI. I can just program yeah. the brothers to do a lot more stuff and I can consolidate things down to a smaller footprint. So I had like a pedal train um, – like the big boy pedal train, not the Terra, but the you know the right. biggest one that people would sensibly where, yeah. that would sensibly use. I made a board out of wood and I stained it and did all this fancy stuff to it, and that was the board I had when we started the show, and that was yep. the board that I actually sold almost everything on it. Um, yep, to, to get to buy the to Helix. go to go in and get the Helix. Okay, so you can see this like I'm already starting to like collapse things to get down to something that was more realistic yep. and it was because i kept i kept just thinking to myself like i need to simplify i need to simplify i need to simplify and now where i'm at today like this has evolved over the next three to four years is like i went pedal boardless i went down to the yep. point where i was using a kemper and the switcher right and then that lasted about two years and then i was like okay now that we got our head clear i've had the kemper i know what the best digital available is like I really don't need all the Kemper has to offer me. I need to just go down to simplicity. And that's when I started buying stuff for the board back in 2020. So this is like, right. I can tell you the years that this stuff was going on. So yeah, these were like all conscious thoughts and a, and a very like defined string of things. So in 2020, right. it made sense to me. I got, um, this guy was like one of the final pedals I had to finish the board. This is the Walrus Audio Fathoms, which is a reverb. Yep. And, um, I just had sort of had this idea that I was like, I need to go bare minimum. And so I had, um, I bought Voodoo Lab, uh, one of their, I think it's the medium board. And I put, um, I had, a, it was a modest board. I had two modulation pedals. I had a drive, I had a dual drive and I had a fuzz pedal. And then I had <laughs> reverb and delay. And I've been rocking that for almost a year. Um, in that configuration, I have a wah as well um, right. that's mounted on there and a tuner. But um, now, like I've been doing this open jam stuff and I've been taking this tiny board and I take, it's literally got um, a Univibe. It has, because some way two modulations are a phaser and a Univibe. This just has a Univibe on it. It has yep. um, a BB preamp, a Golden mm-hmm. Boy which are both both drives and honestly i could probably do it all to bb preamp and a boost um and i and it has a delay llama on it and that's it i'm playing that into a clean front end and i'm i've never been happier with the way things sound on stage and like it's just really really funny because i just keep slimming shit down i'm getting to the point where it's like my sound is me with my hands playing the way that yep. I mostly playing the way that I do through a dual humbucker guitar or a guitar with like P90 like single coils into um, a clean front end with 
a couple of drive pedals and a delay and a you know some sort of modulation. I cannot I think live without a without a Univibe. That that's the I one think it's pedal. important to point out the guitars you're using. So you're using a PRS uh, S2. I have I have a PRS S2 35th anniversary. Yeah, and, and you have a uh, um, your other one is your S500. Yeah, GNL. my G, my GNL S500, which is a Strat with MFDs, which are kind of like they're they're like really really 90. muscular Strat pickups. Right. So sort of like P90s. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I have that go, I have the Golden LGP90, which I got to switch. I got to swap pickups in that. Um, <laughs> I've got the giveaway pickups. I've had them for months. My time has just been so gambly lately. Um, yeah. I can't put aside four hours to you know to do that on a weekend yeah. it just it's just not happened in it's such true. a long time yeah. that uh well i got news yeah. this week that um we lost all of our executive staff at work they all quit wow That's... so uh yeah my time uh, you know i i did three episodes in three weeks i got three episodes out in three weeks and hopefully um by the time this one airs i'm hoping that i'll have four out in four weeks but yeah. if people are wondering why like my life why why i can't get episodes out my life is chaos. It's just yeah. I don't. I never know what I'm going to be doing the day the day I do something. It's just like oh, right. I got four hours time to work on an episode. Like, and there's um, uh, I work for the government, so there's there's about to be people starting to leave mm-hmm. that didn't want to leave. Um, so I don't want to get into why, but I just you know that that kind of thing is a reality and it is about to happen. And and uh, um, they're going to leave, um, and they're gonna they're gonna walk away. Uh, but anyway, so. Um, the, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's important. I, I honestly think I'm important. And, and I shouldn't, when, when I said I don't care about my tone, obviously if I, if I didn't like the, the, um, Helix, I, I do care about my tone. The fact is that I'm not paying probably as good of attention, maybe as I should sometimes to where I, I know where I am in the mix. It's kind of, and that makes it easy. And that makes it easier to be the kind of a clown. The, the, um, you can call me the rodeo clown, the fucking band for all you. For uh, well, all I, I think, well, I think it's I easier mean, for you to also because the songs you play are pretty much preset material in a lot of ways. Right. So, and that's what I was going to say. I know where I am. If I'm playing like eight, six, seven, five, three, and nine, Jenny, right. I know where I know my parts where I am during the chorus, verse, you know, do I need to run over to my board and hit a pedal or not? Do to to institute a drive or, you know, whatever, a boost. You know, those things are in there. Oh. And so sometimes I do have to stand at my pedal board. I you know, the silliest song um uh, love song by 311. I have to stand there to play that song because I'm constantly going in and out of of tones on that one with pedals. That's one of those ones I have to stand there for. Right? Yeah. But take me over to um, uh, a song like, um, uh, what is it? Uh, not the Counting Crows, but the Black Crows, um, Hard to Handle. I knew the Black Car is hard to handle with one setting the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I just roll my volume knob for the solo and I roll it back for when I'm not. And that's part of how my rig works now, too, is it's like a lot of the shades of what I do are. Um, yeah. just using the controls that I already have available to me and I'm getting mm-hmm. a lot more comfortable with like, Oh, this isn't working in the song. I need to re- bend down and adjust things. And like, that's something I've always kind of, I think it's because I, I'm a little bit self-conscious about my weight and stuff. Like I really don't want to have to to do that, 
but I'm just getting to the point where it's like, dude, no, this is about the music. Like, I'm not even if you don't like the way it look, go to go to hell. Um, yeah. You know, like I can. I, My fat ass runs around that stage like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> right. Right. So um, there's a bit that's a big part of it. But like a lot of, you know, of course, I, I look at guys like Jerry Garcia, who was always the best looking dude on stage and just kind of like, well, whatever. Nobody cared about him. Um, Charlie Daniel. Yeah. Another another classic example. So it's not that big a deal. I just. um I think you have to when you when you go down to those minimal rigs to get the change in tones, you have to be willing to get down and change things. Um, yep. And it's just it's just part of it. Like um, yep. for for the purposes of what I'm doing right now, though, simplifying has made me focus on the playing more and and on the getting in and getting out of certain tones. So like before I would kind of work into and then hit the drive pedal on a solo. Whereas like now it's like, oh, I got a solo coming up, hit the drive as the solo starts. And yep. I know that I have to do that. And I will actually sometimes just sort of intuitively roll the volume back before I hit the, before I hit the pedal on. Um, right. And that's been a big, that's been a big like life-changing experience is like realizing that I only have four foot switches on the floor that I need to be hitting on a regular basis. Um, yep. And even just like using presets on my delay, like I was kind of an evangelist for the DM2 because I'm like, this is dirt simple. I don't have to do anything. But now I'm kind of like, no, no, but I want to be able to go to a long delay during this particular part. Um, and so I, 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 I'm sort of recanting a lot of the things I said, but on the same time, it's just trying to get more out of less. Well, you would think, yeah, you would think Now, here's the funny part about the Helix versus the camper for me. Now this mm -hmm. is, this is totally for me. Okay. I'm not talking about other people. I'm not talking about how other people have applied each of these devices. Okay. For me, what the Kemper has done is forced me to use four four buttons. That's mm -hmm. it. I have I have five performances, and I have four buttons to control the the effects. So I'm kind of forced to to choose those four, and the, and typically one's reverb delay. Um, and I love the fact that you can use one to do both. Yeah, um, I was just I was just going to tell you a trick that I used to do, use. I do love that the the morphing feature has been used many times so far. Um, and uh, but I can go. Uh, I can put typically I put a boost, you know, and so on and so forth. But the beauty of it is I can do that with the performances too. I can say oh, you know what I'm going to have each performance is going to be like this is the bridge and this is the and everything. I was else. just going to say. The way I yeah. assigned my buttons was like chorus, you know, verse, bridge, and then yeah. like uh, outro or whatever, you know, whatever other right. weird sound you need. But And I love this. I love the simplicity of it because it forces me to go, you have one, effectively one big pedal that you're, you're pushing to make things happen. Mm -hmm. And your preset, you're not going to sit there and tweak these presets in here on stage. And, right. And, and Which means you have to commit. And I think that's why yeah. a lot of people hate that kind of device is because right. like, oh, crap, I need more mids for this venue. Yeah. Better wait to the break because you got to go through menus. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's that is what it is. I think we've I think we've talked about line in the sand. I think I, this might be a topic we touch back on. Well, the guitar, the guitar side of line in the sand is a is a big one. Oh yeah, do you want to talk about that briefly? Yeah, I do. What I would you what would you give what would you give up 
What would you? What would I give up? Yeah. What would you be oh. willing to give up for money? Oh. oh, all right. So, I want a quality instrument, and yes, part of that quality instrument is good. Part of it is my ego. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna give you that. I'm gonna give everybody that. The headstock does mean something to me. Um, but two and more importantly, because because everybody will go quality. You got a Gibson, you know, blah blah blah. I know, I know. You guys can yell at me all day long. <laughs> here's here's a funny thing. So I pulled the pickups out of my number one, right? That's the amber guitar hanging right behind me. Yeah, I pulled the pickups out of number one. That has got some of the shittiest routing you've ever seen. The the route instead of being nice and clean, I can show pictures. It's got it, it the it, it looks like feathers in there in places. It's just terrible. The bridge, not so much the as the neck. The neck, the I don't know what happened with the router, but it's like the bit just went bad when it went around. around. Um, <laughs> so where the where the wires go in? Right. There's uh, there's a nick in the um, where the neck, you know, where the headstock goes up, where it mm -hmm. hangs. Somebody hung it on a before I bought it. Somebody hung it on a headstock, and it's got a little chip in it. It's got a, a ding in the um, the binding I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. um, of course, I play it, and I play it without the pick guard. So uh, already my arm is starting to do what it's supposed to do. It's it's got buckle rash already, and I never wear a belt belt buckle out. I always wear my shirt over. Doesn't matter. Believe me, nitro doesn't give a shit. It scratches anyway. Yeah, this I mean, print, you can't avoid it in nitro. Yeah, this print scratches the nitro. So, if you're gonna play a guitar, play the guitar. If you're gonna if you're gonna keep it in a case, keep it in a case. Point is this: the the rough stuff, and you saw with my three three five where I got the when I got it, there was buffing compound in that one spot that I had to get with a toothbrush. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course I have to be real careful because otherwise I can, you can use buffing. It's got buffing compound. Guess what it'll do? It scratches the shit out of your finish. That's <laughs> crap out of the finish. So you kind of got to live with one or the other. So there's a little bit of buffing compound. that's going to sit there forever. looks like somebody was doing their toothpaste. And but anyway, so point is that I'm making here. Uh, and by the way, I haven't taken the, the pickups out of it yet, but that, that white Les Paul is just, it's head and shoulders. It really is cosmetically head and shoulders above a lot of guitars that, that I have. This is my this is my thing. I want to be able to plug that guitar in and know it's going to work. I want to be able to plug that guitar in and know that when I roll that volume knob, it's going to do what I want that volume knob to do. I'm going to, that switch is going to switch every freaking time. And I know that it will, it, it, eventually something will go wrong. But I want that to be, that mean time to failure to be huge. I don't want it to be when I'm paying, being paid $8,000, okay, to play a wedding. Right. Now, I don't care about your $300 shitty gig at Bob's Pizzeria. <laughs> and I don't really care about the fact that you're getting great tones on your YouTube channel. Not you personally. I'm talking about the yous. Oh, no, the I'm, I'm, the don't worry. Me. I'm getting plenty offended. Yeah. The the, no, the the yous that are out there in the audience that are they're like, oh, Jim, you're, you're an asshole. Um, the... I get that. I really do. But when you go to a, when you play a wedding, you play in a, in a tux nine times out of 10 and you play a nice instrument that looks good. That sounds good. That's going to give the best 
performance. And that's my, those are my tuxedos. Okay. This one's my t-shirt and this is my tuxedo. It doesn't matter. The point is that it's the, um, it's the thing that, that you're doing for the betterment of, and for me, and that's me, and that's my line in the sand. Everybody's got a different one. I know you do. And my line in the sand is that thing looks, sounds, and feels right in the moment for me to play, to give the best that I can give for the kind of music that I play for people. And yes, it's all scripted. Almost everything I do is scripted. You do not know what I go through at rehearsals and go through in my head before I get on stage to make sure that it all looks so natural. People go, oh, God, you're so natural when you get up there. And I go, I oh, wish. I'm a machine. I really do wish. <laughs> if it, you know, I'll, I'll go to uh, – I'll just take an aside here. I'll, I was singing this weekend um, at karaoke, and somebody said, how do you make – all these things sound so good. I said, because when I get up there, I'm acting. That's part of the show. It's part of the show. I got to, when I sing, whether it's Bridge Over Troubled Waters or Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, I get into the mind of what I'm trying to present in that moment. And I give that. That's the difference between a person that gets up there and goes, you, my brown eyed girl, you, my brown eyed girl. I mean, and you're staring at a screen and you're looking at it like this. And this is your presentation. Just like I was talking about with Jim Dar's channel. Kind of boring. Got some great points. It's just kind of dull. It's the same thing that I was talking about with that. I, I, I have got to present. I'm a short, fat <laughs> guy who's in his mid-50s, who's not getting any younger, and for some reason not getting any thinner. So... I, I just, I need to be able to make, take all the good stuff I can do. You know, you mix it up into a thing and you, and you present it. You know, I'm not guitar max. I've got big muscles and I, and I'm a pilot and you know, I'm a good looking guy with jet black hair and I'm 30 years old and I'm shredding on guitar. No, I'm a short, fat, five foot six guy who's, up there doing his best to make a show. And, and and that's what I do. So what's my line in the sand? My line in the sand is this. I've got to I've got to make those people go, yeah, I want to see this guy again. Bring him back. That's my line in the sand. So <laughs> um I'm gonna stick to as close to the thematically accurate version of this question as I can, <laughs> which is to to talk about like value wise what I'm willing to what I'm, what I'm willing to compromise right. on. Of course, anecdotally, I'm right. looking at my seagull here next to me. Um, Jeff Biaziadecki reached out to me from Good Time Today, so they got a C uh, the the Maritime CH SWS cutaway, which is actually what I wanted when I bought this guitar, and um, I was like, I, I entertained it for a minute. I was like. I could sell this one and I could go get the cutaway. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, you know what? I'm not going to sell this one. I like the way this one sounds. And so I made a compromise for playability over tone on that yeah. one and price. I mean, this is a hundred bucks cheaper. Um, so the PRS, like I compromised and I didn't buy a core model. I will probably eventually buy a core model. Um, I'm not even going to lie about that. 
because I just decided that the aesthetics weren't all that important to me. The violin carve mm -hmm. is not as important to me as I wanted it to be. I do definitely have some buyer's remorse. Like I think about it every once in a while. I'm like, someday somebody's going to come to me and go, oh, that's an S2. You know, I think in the back of my mind. Then I kind of I kind of like laugh about it. I go, dude, how many people do you run into where you're like, somebody's going to slander your S2 and you're going to be like, you're going to be like, yeah, well, let me see how you play. Like, you know, let's see what you do with your core model. I um, literally don't see that happening. No, I don't think I literally it, don't. Say that I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think most people look at S twos and go, "That's out of the realm of affordability for most people." And it's like it's not even about that. Um, I, I literally don't think most people, even PRS guys, I'll, I'll say this: I don't think that even most people, even PRS guys, would look at an S two and go, "Oh, that's an S two. Most people would see it and go, "Wow, nice a PRS." But, nice. but I want to point out something. So, like, it is a compromise for me. Because normally the way that I would do things is like, I want the best one I can afford. Like I'll go get the, and I probably can, as much as I hate to admit it, I probably can't afford a core model. I just don't want to spend the money on it. Like it's one no. of those things like, I don't want to have to worry about it. I don't want to pay the insurance on it. I don't want to, there, there's very, there are various reasons why having a $3,000 or $4,000 guitar laying around is not really the most attractive thing in my life, especially when I'm trying to buy a house. Um, yep. <laughs> so that's a whole, like, that's a whole other proposition. Cause that, that's been the end goal for several years now. So, um, I, people think that like they see Mesa, Mesa boogie cabinets and stuff behind me and pedals on the wall. And I talk about all these new pedals. People think I don't compromise on things. And I do, I, I definitely like, I stop myself from spending money a lot, um, on stuff that I'm not really probably even going to use it a gig or like, wouldn't it be cool to have that? Like at some point, maybe it'd be nice to use it. I don't right. buy that stuff. Cause it's like, I buy what I use. And, it, um, it crossed my mind to buy two of those uh, mission pedals. And I said, nah, I'll just get one and I'll see if I can do that. All right. So, so classic, reason. classic example. Like I was looking at pedals the other day and I was like, well, you know, I'd like to have a super overdrive. So boss has like a super overdrive. I think it's like 55 bucks now. Um, and you can get, you can buy that or you can buy the Waza, which is like $180, $179. Or you can buy a Japanese one on Reverb for like 200 bucks. And normally me, the way that I operate, it's like, I'm just going to buy the Japanese one. Um, but it's, but then I sat there and I thought to myself, I was like, dude, what the hell do you need a Japanese one for when you can go buy a brand new Wazacraft that's basically the Japanese SD1 with yep. another mode on it. And right. it's, I don't want to buy the bargain basement one because I'm smart enough at least to know that I don't want a surface mount one because if I ever want to get it modded, that's never going to work. Um, right. So that was kind of my thought process. And it's like that was, a, that was a clear example of where I went, I'm going to buy this and then kind of backed off. And I, I didn't actually end up buying one, but um, yep. it's... People see what they want to see. And I think when the people see a professional musician, so like, here's a classic example. I play with the band Old Stumpy and this will come up in the gig report. Um, but like, I'll buy stuff to get through a gig and full well knowing like, yeah, I'm going to use this later. Like I'll have, I'll have use for it later, but I will buy things specifically for that gig. And I don't think anybody in that band has bought gear other than me, the entire time I've been in it. I've been in the band, what, year and eight months? Yeah, give or take. Somebody bought a tuner. 
and one guy was gifted a bass amp. Somebody nice to buy one of those guys a tuner, but we'll we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> you said it not me um and i'm like i'm kind of thinking to myself like is this weird that i play in a band that so first off we are amateurs we are not professionals in any way so for me like i'm kind of looking at that situation going yeah you're the guy that of course you're the guy that everybody depends on to sound good so you know, you don't mind spending a couple bucks to do something, but like, I'm not buying. So when I bought my PRS, I did not buy my PRS to play an old Stumpy. Okay. Right. Let's just be totally blunt, honest about that. Old Stumpy is my side gig and old Stumpy right. is like my right. distance side gig. Um, what I really do is play my own music and I want to put something together desperately, but I've just not, I've had shit luck finding people. Um, because yeah. the people that put together my project are not people that you run into every day. Um, and so I'm even kind of thinking like I might start another side project. Um, I'm actually talking about doing a blue standards band. And it's just in the back of my mind. Like I know I can prop that whole thing up. I can sing and I can play the guitar parts. And then I can have, if I have a consistent drummer and bassist, I can bring in a second guitarist or whatever else I want for a particular gig. And then we can you go and get that. we can go and get dates, and I can get you know three hundred dollar gigs out the ass playing playing in blues your, clubs. In your area, I was going to say, in your area, blues gig would be awesome. Yeah, literally awesome. I mean, I know some other guys locally who are doing that, and it's it's a struggle to get three hundred bucks for a gig. But I think it's just an easy thing to do, like to to play like blue standards and maybe and work in a couple of rolling stone songs or something and just roll through like the easiest freaking tunes you can possibly imagine and come out and just do a good job and go home. Um, That's right. And like, you could literally, and I know you've talked about this. You could literally do a Stevie, or a Stevie Ray Vaughan or a Jimi Hendrix night and, or do like a set of one and a set of the other. Cause I don't play much like either of those guys. I mean, I can play their tunes, but but I don't play like them. Um, It would be hard for me to to. do a tribute thing, but uh, like I could play in the style, you know, like in my style, these tunes, right? In the style of, that's what I mean. Yeah. So that's with your own take. So that's, that's kind of where I'm, where I'm at though, in terms of the line and line in the sand thing. Like it's, it's really not about how much money I spend. It's not about whether something's cheap or not. It's about whether it meets my needs. Right. And whether it excites me, because that's another part of it. Like the delay, <laughs> the delay llama is more delay pedal than I need. But yeah. I'm kind of like, I'm. I just get lost in that pedal. I'm like, okay, I can hear the repeats, and like, I hear what I like out of it, and I'm like, all right. But I could, I could go to a cheaper delay. I could go, co- I can go cheaper on st- on stuff than I do. The question is, should I have to? You shouldn't right. compromise unless you have to. Um, for now, me, the, the, I, yeah. I do have one thing though. So I bought a Shenzhen. So I, I do have I do have a line in the sand. I won't buy guitars that are below a certain a certain quality level because I'm just going to end up changing everything on them. And that's where I wanted to. That's actually how I wanted to approach this conversation from the beginning. Was like, look, um, when you talk about. Uh, lower tier instruments stuff on the lower end of the scale 
All I want, this is my line in the sand, is to pick the guitar up and not have to modify it. Okay? And, and, and I still have not yet found one that is totally, I didn't have to modify something on it. Or I, I really wish X or Y. So I do go below my standards a lot. But I definitely have had moments where it's like, I know what I want. It just doesn't exist. I, yeah, I, I want to say something about that. The, the ex, it, it excites me. Thing. The, that's, that is such a good, I, I, actually a great uh, way of putting it. I am, I am definitely the person who is not excited to pick up a cheap guitar and play it. It's just not, it, it doesn't excite me in the least. Now, well, we could go into the why, people, but that, but that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of the it, point of this conversation. You know, that is the it, conversation. Look, all right, let's, let's take it outside the guitars for just a second. Let's talk about your car. Does it call, when you get in your car, does it excite you to drive? Right. I, uh, my car kind of does because it's it's an Audi. It's a it's a higher end car. It's a it's a lower end, high end. I think most people, car. even young people, can relate to having a nice vehicle, something that's right. fun to drive. Right. Um, and it's fun to drive. It has a lot of punch. I can get around people when I need to. And it's and it's leather and it's got heated seats and cooling and all the stuff it needs to have and. The only thing is, for some reason, I don't know why people in Audi must not ever drink anything, because the drink <laughs> the cup holders suck. But other than that, um, it's great, and I and I love it. Um, so that's that's now take it to the guitar. I could buy an Epiphone. I could buy an Epiphone fifty nine. You, you have five. bought Epiphones. I have, and they didn't excite me. What happened to them? They got I returned shipped, or sold them. shipped back. <laughs> I returned or sold them. Matter of fact, yeah, I shipped one back to Sweetwater. Um, the, the and that one is supposed to be amazing. That people loved. People loved Yeah, we it. got how many hits I, on that video? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's one of our More hits than the rest video. of the channel. I mean, it was like, whoa. Um, Even better than my, my Les Paul. To the point I, where I mean, Jim and I were having conversations about what cheap guitars should we buy. Because it yeah. was like this is like this is a no brainer. I've literally thought about buying a bunch of shit guitars. We could drop a thousand bucks on this channel and just reselling them. We could buy, just buy we, them and resell them. We could drop. That's what a, a lot of these channels do. We could drop a thousand dollars on this channel and just just yeah. for our listeners' sake, we could buy a couple of high the higher end Epiphones that people really want to see, just yeah. like the Joe Montemassa one. He puts out one every year, by the way. With them, yeah. So you just they buy just that released one. the uh, Lazarus. All right. Yeah. So when you, so if you bought one every year, and we would, we would be able to monetize this channel. So like, just right. for just so everybody knows, we are actually not making any money on YouTube. Like, right. There's literally no monetization. We're not talking pennies. We're literally not making anything because in order for us to do that, we have to have a thousand subscribers, yep. and we have to have a certain amount of views per video views. which we don't have right no. and i'm not even concerned about that that's not even that's never been in my mind as we moved moved into youtube it was about expanding the viewer right the viewer base um right but like why i'm bringing this up 
is because we could do that. We could drop we could drop a thousand dollars. We've chosen not to. Because right. that's not it doesn't represent us. That's right. And I could go out, I could literally just take a credit card and a couple of times a month buy a firefly, do the firefly videos that everybody else is doing. Everybody's doing them. Take them apart, do the thing, show the show how good or bad it is. Put it back together and sell it. I'd be For monetized. I'd be monetized. And we'd be monetized. And and folks, it it, it wouldn't excite me. No, no. It, it would not excite me. I'm not I'm not driven to come out to this office to sit down and record and play a guitar. Yeah. That I don't like, that I won't bond with, and then I would just sell. Well, so so at least with some of those guitars, like I wouldn't even take them to a gig. And it's like, if I can't play it at a gig, it's not getting reviewed. Do you know what I mean? Like that's. Yeah. For me, it would have to be something that I could say, okay, guys, took the Firefly to a gig this weekend. And here's what happened. I have have joked about taking the Shengze to open jam and playing it one night. And I have never taken that thing out. Like, and I have no desire to do so. (laughs) Because well, I don't the trust thing. it. Right. Here's the thing for me. And this is where the line in the sand thing comes in. And I think it's important. Everybody's line in the sand is different. Sure. Right? Every single one of us. It's about finding what you're comfortable mood. with. That's right. If you're sitting at home and you're jamming out, there's nothing wrong with a firefly. Absolutely nothing wrong with a firefly. I think, I think it's probably a better investment than this. I'm sure there are people gigging fireflies. I'm sure they're out there. And if that you're I'm comfortable sure doing that... that more power right. to you. If you like Lego awesome. building guitars mm-hmm. where you buy a guitar and you strip all the parts and, re- you know, start from scratch, yeah. like more power to you. Awesome. That's just not me. I want to be able right. to buy, pick something up off the shelf and be like, this is damn good the way it is. I don't really want to mess with it much. I want to take this out and play it because I want to focus right. on playing and I want to focus right. on getting in front of people. And I've had people tell me in the last couple weeks, like you're focused too much on gear. You need to focus on playing. And they're right. Because I haven't been, I hadn't been playing as much. Now I'm playing right. back to playing two or three hours an evening again. So it's yeah, like same here. No big deal. I just got. Sometimes you got to, you know, like keep your eyes on the prize, and you got to be smart yeah. enough to, you know, realize that playing is more important than the gear. Mm-hmm. So and, but here's here's what I want to get to that, that that I was talking about with this line in the sand thing and everybody's line being different. Is that the line is chosen by you, and. As an individual, you, the listener, the watcher, the viewer, as an individual, you have to pick that line. You don't have to like what I like. It it always shocks and amazes me. And I've said this before, that somebody pays $10 during a live feed of Phil McKnight to say, I bought this piece of gear. What do you think of it? Who gives a shit? And I'm sure <laughs> Phil McKnight is thinking in his mind, he's going... Who gives a shit? Do you like it? And he has a nicer way to say what I just said, because he says it every time. Who gives a shit? He said a million I got that guitar and blah, blah, blah. But if you like it, you should play it. I think I've actually heard or, him say, do you like it? <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, that's the thing. Who gives it? Did you pay that $10? You could tell a thousand watchers that you bought one of these guitars. Yeah. That and that's really and that's really and what I, it is. Were you looking for confirmation bias? Oh, please tell me. Please tell me it's as good. And I bought a spark. Is it as good as you say it is? 
You know, it's like, well, (laughs) about that. (laughs) Yeah. He didn't take it to a gig and play that. He plays in his bedroom. When you listen to him, he talks about the fact that he has this room and that room. and He doesn't have 12 sparks for every room he plays in. Yeah, right, right. He's got one that he likes and and he also has a katana he likes and so on and so forth. Who cares? He also said he doesn't have a car because he drives his kids or his wife's car because he doesn't need one. He out and out said it. His line in the sand is, I don't use it. I don't want it. And so everybody's got a different line in the sand. And, And this is what amazes me. Don't look for the confirmation bias. Don't care that I have, a, you know, that I have a guitar like this or that or the other, and and you don't or you want it and you you don't have it or you don't want it or you had one and you hated it. I don't care, and you shouldn't care. That's the point. You should be your line, and it should be your decision. I'm not sitting here. We're neither one of us is saying don't buy a Firefly. Those things suck. We've never said that ever. No, I've said I won't buy a Firefly for me. I have said I won't recommend it, but it me. doesn't mean that I'm going right. to hate you if you have one. I know people right. that own Harley Benz. I have friends who own Harley Benz. Um, that's exactly. how I played them. Um, so, you know, it's exactly. it's fine. Like if it works for you, no problem. That's what we've always yeah. said. Um, so anyway, let's talk about this Doug Pinnock, Doug Pinnock uh, interview. I'm, yeah, I think that's important. Can I share my Doug so, Pinnock story before we before we? Sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I went to go see, and I remember the show um, very vividly. This would have been, I think, I was still in high school. Um, I went to see Dream Theater, but the, who else was on the bill? And this is was exactly. Joe Joe Satriani. Oh. And no, there was no opening band listed on the ticket, I don't think. Okay. And I don't know whether that was just because they were only playing a specific leg of the tour or if that was just the tickets I got. Ticketmaster didn't put them on it because it's back in the days of like Ticketmaster and all that Um, when they were the monopoly. And now that's kind of changed. There's some other companies have gotten gotten a hold on them. Anyway, so um, I get to this gig and... uh, first band comes out and i knew who they were because i'd I'd like i'd heard some of their music before right um like i'd heard dog man and stuff like that and they came out and i was like oh king's x like and actually i think i might have seen their merch at the table as we're walking i'm like wonder why they're selling king's x merch here because it just didn't occur to me that like oh there might be three bands there might be three bands so they come out right and uh i believe he was still using uh um We'll talk about uh, who's the guitar player in the band. I forget what his name is offhand. Uh, the guy oh, that plays he plays Gibson Lab Series amps. Well, he used to anyway, with a Line yes. Six Pod or something. Um, yep. And and he was fantastic, right? And they brought that place down. There was no stage show. Them fog machines and like very little lighting. And Doug Pinnock, just I can remember looking Ty Tabor. Um, and I can remember seeing uh, Doug Pinnock on stage and going, who the hell is that guy? Because his bass yep. was at his knees. Now, if you've never seen Doug, Doug looks like a spider. Okay. Yeah. This dude. He this is dude, very he, thin. Like gangly. And his yep. arms are like really long. 
Um, and yeah. he's playing this bass at his knees like nobody's business. And it's just yeah. so loud and it's so heavy. And I'm like, what on God's green earth? I had no idea what I was watching. I was like, I knew I liked these guys from, you know, the the, the music I had, I had acquired over the years um, from other people. But I had no idea, like, what I was witnessing. So then, so then right, so that ends up, Satriani comes out, he plays his set. I was not a big Satriani fan. And at that not, at that time, and I think I've talked about this performance on, on the show before, he was not, he was having a bad night, basically. And I've always joked that he was drunk. I have no idea what, what was going on with him that night. But it was not a great night for him. He was not, he did not inspire me. Now, I think older me would probably have, like, sat through that and kind of picked it apart a little bit differently and probably would have enjoyed it. But I was like, okay, whatever. Dream Theater comes out. Dream Theater does their thing. And, um, it, like, they put on a little bit of a show, but it was, like, mostly about the music. So I was like, you guys should just kind of just play your music. It's fine. Um, cause I just watched King's X just totally demolish the place as a power trio, you know? Yep. And then of course, Dream Theater's got like five people in the band or six people in the band, you know? And you're going, Hmm, this is a little bit different. Um, so they, and so then, uh, Ty comes out, not Ty, um, uh, Doug comes out and he does a duet with James Labrie, which was wild. Cause if you, you know, Dream Theater, like James Labrie is a really great singer, but he's an opera singer. And then Doug right. is Doug comes from like the rock and roll, like sixties and blues background. And he comes out and he, they're just, they're singing the song together. And I think it was, um, uh, I don't remember which song it was. It was one of the, one of the ones off of the images and words. And I know, cause I, cause I knew it really well. And I was like, I just sat there and I was like, wow, you know, I, I, I walking away from that show, the two headliners, mm-hmm. I could have given two shits. Like I, I honestly, that kind of killed dream theater for me. Cause it was like, I have no desire to see him live again. Um, it wasn't a great, <laughs> it wasn't a great show. It was okay. It wasn't great. Yeah. And Satriani yeah. wasn't great, but, but King's X, I'm like, I see them come to Arcada every year and I'm like, which is a venue near me. And I'm like, Hmm. <laughs> I wonder what I'm doing that night. Cause I'm like, I want to go see them again. Cause they just killed it. And I, I almost guarantee they still sound that good. Cause those guys have just honed their craft and they're not trying to be something they're not. Um, it's, it's, it's just dead on, you know? So anyway, take it away. You, you, you saw an interview with uh, Doug Pinnock on Philip McKnight. Right. And so he's um, talking about his new four string. Cause he's, he used to play a 12 string. So he was playing a similar thing to the guy from, uh, believe it or not, uh, Cheap Trick. Uh, he played a 12-string guitar. Well, yeah. And, um, you, you mean uh, you mean bass, right? Bass. That's what I meant. Bass. He um, had a 10-string when I saw him. Yeah, and he played with a pick. Um, so anyway, uh, he and Schechter have come out with a semi-hollow um, I think he's trying to lighten up, you know, he's getting a little older and he's very thin and gangly. As you said, his arms go practically to his knees. I mean, the guy is just, yeah. Yeah. And his arms are only like this big around. He would have made an incredible oh, swimmer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, he, he, um, uh, I think because of his back, honestly, but, um, he's playing a four string. He's playing this, um, this black Schecter, which is really cool and really nice. And so, uh, I, I liked it because Phil McKnight asked him, why did you go, uh, you know, your stuff is, your rig is so um, 
less expensive. Yeah, it's and inexpensive. And he goes, is that because you wanted to? He was he was leading him with the question. He was he was doing the CNN leading question, right? So he goes, is that because you wanted to make it more affordable for your audience? And you know what? Uh, Ty said something that you never hear these guys admit. He goes, well, we're just not that famous, so I didn't get a lot of money for him. So to be honest with you, I, you know, I could have asked for more money, but then it would have cost more money. And he goes, so we looked at the marketing, and I'm not that famous, so nobody cares about getting a Ty Tabor base. And he goes, so, um, uh, you know, I – we looked at, I'm getting a little piece of each one sold and blah, blah, blah. But he was very open and honest about, I'm just not that big a name. So you get to go with the. <laughs> I have heard stories over the years of people. And, and it's interesting that he's not that big a name. Cause like, if you've seen those guys, there's a reason yeah. that people still talk about King's X. Um, right. But uh, it's just really interesting because he is probably one of those players is probably really influential for like prog rock and that kind of stuff. And I'm sure there's a market for him, but like I sort of expected his answer to be like, well, there was more money in it for me. And honestly, we felt that the quality, cause, cause you could, you could split that and say the quality of the interest was good enough and there was more money for me. So it made sense. Um, And I have heard that certain people have, offered their signature instruments at a specific price point to line pockets. Um, Now, of course, Jimmy Vaughn says that he did it because, because he had the first Mexican signature fender. Right. Um, And Jimmy Vaughn says he did it because he wanted to make sure his guitar was available to anybody who wanted it. That's a nice way of saying, I want to make sure that I get my royalties from every guitar sold. Um, and he actually was trying to do the same thing with the Stevie Ray Vaughan model as well. Yeah, go ahead. Here's a funny, uh, part. So the Doug Pinnock Schechter that existed before still available. Yeah. I had no idea this thing until I just clicked it. So it's a 12 string Mm -hmm. Schechter for 1200 bucks, 1250 bucks. They got damn good. Yeah, yeah, that's a Are good price. That's a good price. For that. Base. That's a damn good deal. And then his, so he's got a. It's like the. It, it's Tech Twenty One's Doug Pinnock uh, thing. Right, right. He's got a. He's um, got a fly rig or something. Yep, a fly rig type thing. Um, it's it's the exact same thing. I don't know if it's. I, it doesn't say fly, but I, it, it's the same thing. And uh, the Doug Pinnock one, three hundred bucks. Yeah, I, I mean. To be completely honest with you, you know, the guy isn't, you know, and it's got the XLR out and everything else. That, that's not a lot of money. That's that's pretty good. You can buy his whole rig. You can be yeah. done, Doug Pinnock on stage for 1500 bucks or 69 yeah. with tax. Yeah. That's pretty damn good. And the guy, you know, like I said, I thought that it was good that he admitted, hey, you know what? I'm not trying to milk this because here's here's somebody you know I love Gibson, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bash the yeah. recent. <laughs> so Slash models come out; they're no better than the than the Epiphones uh, that are that are sitting next to them, that are regular ones, and you can buy a case for an Epiphone that's sitting there, and it doesn't say Slash on it. But guess what? You can save a couple hundred bucks. So to me, the Slash model uh, Epiphones are the biggest 
waste of money you could you could spend. Um, now the Lazarus, the Lazarus is actually a good a good one. Um, it's fifty bucks extra, but it's a one piece snack versus a three piece snack or two piece snack that the that the fifty nine has, and it's got the Gibson pickups in it, and it's got the hard shell case. So it's actually cheaper than the than the Slash one, which I thought was funny. I don't. Um, I don't think it's funny. Slash is a bigger name. Um, Slash is. You're absolutely right. That's exactly what I was going to. And so Slash is probably getting 150, 200 dollars a guitar. Could be. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I think it's probably less than that. But he's selling a significantly higher volume anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, Not great. So I would think that. <clears throat> I would think that the proposition here, of course, becomes, you know. Um, I think most people who are professionals who end up with a signature guitar, because not everybody gets them, right? Um, right. I think most people like are sort of more on the side of like, you can use my name and attach it. I just want to make sure I get, you know, you flowing me instruments specifically for touring and stuff. Um, but there are definitely people out there that are trying to make money off of it. And actually the guy that, uh, the guy that comes to mind is, um, uh, Steve Vai. So I don't know if you knew this or not. He comes out with P, right? They're no longer mm-hmm. making a Japanese gem. There is no, there is no high end gem anymore. Oh, uh, so it's just a PN? I think it's an, ex- I think it's like an Indo uh, gem or just the gem junior. Mm-hmm. Right. Which tells me he knows demand is still going to be higher for the gem. And his profit ratio is probably easier to manage. And the company is also in alignment with that. It's probably easier to manage and in a lower end guitar. I would I would highly suspect. Steve's not a dumb guy. Steve's always been good at business. So I I have a very strong feeling that a lot of the PM motivation was about getting people to be interested in the guitar again. Like not just because of the 30th anniversary or 35th anniversary, whatever got unveiled, but because it was kind of like, we've really sort of tapped out the market at $3,500, Steve, what can we do now? You know, like, like how do we, how do right. we get those, how do we get those guys to buy another one? Um, and so he still got the low end of the market, holding everything else down um, to like, just kind of pay bills from the Ibanez endorsement. The Ibanez endorsements were very, very, very lucrative um, back in the early 90s to mid 90s when Vi and Satch and, and uh, Paul Gilbert got on board with them. I don't know what they oh, yeah. look like now. Um, but at that time, they were willing to put some money be- behind uh, some pro players, which is why. So I know that like, and believe me, I want to believe the stories like that, that Steve tells about. You know, the prototype is the one that I play now and that kind of stuff. Like, I'm sure that's probably still true. But it's like, dude, we know you went with them partially because the deal was good. Because even if they did what you asked them, if the deal had sucked, you wouldn't have taken it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you wouldn't have taken it. Now, of course, he was asking for weird stuff and Ibanez did it. Um, so that's a whole other, a whole other animal, but I just think it's interesting. Like we, we, we tend to forget that's a business proposition. So would you want to talk about the Adam Jones tool? Les Paul is part of this. So sure. they did the, they did the custom shop run, right? Yep. They've and, done 
they've done a third run. They've done a third run now, which should tell you something. That's been yeah. very lucrative for Gibson. And so they're going to make more and of I'm them. Sure Adam Jones. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like every time Adam goes, every time they want to run it, you know, do another run of them, he's like, all right, thumbs up. Let's do it. And I'm just kind of surprised they haven't made this a production model yet. Well, I, I'm 100% sure we're going to see it's production coming. Run. It's but coming. Remember, it's a Les Paul custom. So you got to kind of put that into perspective. So if they go, pers- if they go, um, what a regular production. A custom is already now a full. Is it? Was it a, it's a custom. But does yeah. it carry the same prestige as the white and black custom? So seventy yeah, well, silver burst custom. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Let me let me let me talk a little bit about that. So what they've done is a uh, uh, one that's an exact replica. It's got all the scratches and everything right, else. Right, right, okay. Right. That's, that was twelve thousand dollars, and then you can get, you can still get them for eighteen twenty thousand dollars if you want one. Everybody that wants to make fun of my guitar's prices, then they came out with one that was like ten thousand dollars or something, um, and that was the one that was VOS. That was the first controversial was, one where people were like, "Seriously, you're doing another run of these?" Even though right the first run right. sold out and like yeah. Yep. And so this is the one that doesn't have any scratches and everything else. It's not aged in the, the this least. This is the brand new, basically period correct, right? Silver burst. And so now you've got what you've got one that bridges the gap. You've got the lightly aged, right? So now you've got the lightly aged one. That this might be the ten thousand dollar one. Yeah, the I lightly think this aged is the ten thousand dollar one. Yeah, where it's kind of aged but not really. So that they can still say, yeah, you've got because they're only doing seventy nine. Remember, it was nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, I think it was seventy nine. They did a hundred of the VOS, I think, but the the aged and slightly aged are seventy nine each. So they're still they know where they they know. Let's keep these numbers minimal enough that people are going to buy them. And there's some people who are collectors are going to buy. They're going to buy all. They're going to have the set and say, I have all three of them. That's right. That's what they're banking on. But it's a money thing. That's why that That's happened. Right. Here's what I think the the production run will be. There will be right now the the black Les Paul custom is forty nine ninety nine, the white Les Paul custom is fifty four ninety nine. To bridge that gap, I think they'll come in closer to the white Les Paul custom than the black Les Paul custom because what they'll do is they'll put Adam Jones on it, and the only thing, the only real difference. I think this is me because they've already done this. With the unless new the production model drops the the binding, the the custom the custom binding, right? Unless it drops custom binding, I think what they're going to do is they're going to put his name on it, right? That and that is going to be the thing that adds two or three hundred dollars to the price. Okay, from a forty nine ninety nine to a fifty two ninety nine, let's say, um, guitar. Because I don't think they really want to make white ones. I think that's why they made them fifty four ninety nine. It's just ridiculous to say I want a white one instead of a black one, and I'm willing to pay five hundred dollars more for it. I don't think that's realistic. White, white is actually uh, an easier finish to do too, which is really yeah. funny. Yeah. So I think that they just want to get out of the white model for a while. I think that's why they did that. But that's my that's my take on it. I could be dead wrong. But anyway. Um, I think that the Adam Jones will do that. And here's the here's the key. So they'll say 
the new Adam Jones one that's coming out, if I remember, and I'd, I'd have to check, I think it's got the exact same pickups as the regular custom. Four ninety four ninety eight. Yeah, which does which, not even special pickups. Which means it's a custom with aged look of the Adam Jones, slightly aged look of the Adam Jones. I, I, it does not have Adam Jones pickups, and I don't think I could be wrong about that. I I watch so many of these things, I could be wrong. I'd have to check. I hinted at it, but I'm just going to say it again. I don't think we're going to get a custom. I think when the I think when the production model shows up, it won't have the custom binding. It won't have the custom inlay. It will be. And they'll put it at three thousand dollars. Yeah, it'll be a three thousand. Whatever that, whatever is aligned with other artist model guitars, and it'll basically right. be the same guitar otherwise. Um, right. So that's that's my that's so you don't my think that They'll do the custom custom the custom shop custom. No, that's no. what this is. It's a custom custom. No, and it, and if they did, it'll be it'll be some tricky tricky thing where they can get around having to devalue the customs because. Um, the, the reality is unless it's a custom shop custom, it doesn't really matter what the price is. Cause it's not worth, I mean, a custom shop custom is not worth three th- or like $3,800 or whatever. It's worth whatever standard is plus 50 or a hundred bucks because the, it the, really, the only difference is the binding and the inlays. Um, so that's why I'm like, when, they, when I hear some people talk about like the, the custom shop customs and they're like, Oh, it's got a 498 T in it. And I'm like. That's like that's like the same thing in the standard. Like, what the hell? Um, so, the, yeah, the difference between the the, the honest difference and being someone who owns that custom and custom shop, um, it's just, the it's regular standard and the fit custom and fi- shop. fit and finish is a big part of it. And fit and finish. It was made in another. It, it, it's more supposedly more handmade. Yeah. Um, well. Because it's built in the shop. You know, a, you know how I shop. feel about that now. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm not. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying that that's that, one of the differences. Yes, it does have five ply binding versus one ply binding. It's got prettier stuff. It's got gold versus whatever. It's got right. block inlays versus whatever. It's got the diamond. It's got the the Gibson logo. Isn't a different thing. I'll, yeah, I'll it's, be completely it's mostly aesthetic. And, and here's the negative side. It's weight relieved. Yeah, and it'll have a plain top. Yep, because they're spraying it with a color. Right. So the fact is, I yeah, if they come out with a what you're saying is like a, a Les Paul standard type thing. Yeah, Adam Jones I don't Les think Paul they standard. Will. And here's uh, they might, they might. I don't think they will. And here's why I don't think they will. But I could be wrong, and I've been wrong about a lot of things. Uh, they could all it would be is a standard with um the right paint job because remember his les paul is a custom that's what that's what the whole thing is that's the whole uh crux but we just said it customs aren't really that different than the regular guitar other than aesthetic details right slash's les paul was a 59 copy right we all know that it's not a it's not a gibson so we all know that the appetite for destruction guitar was not a was not a gibson so his favorite guitar is not a Gibson guitar. Right. It's a it's a it's a copy made by a, a man that that killed himself with nitro. I mean, yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's not. A, it's a very sad thing. I I didn't laugh because I thought it was funny. I laughed as as it's kind of stupid. Um, they, but would they would they really come out with a? If they came out with a standard version of his guitar, it means all they're doing is taking the Les Paul standard, painting it. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, silver burst. And now you've got standard inlay, standard, everything else. And you wouldn't even, I mean, you might come up with a Adam Jones pickup line. 
and then say, okay, there's a there's a three hundred dollar or four hundred dollar uh, surcharge for that. I mean, that's that's really all you got now for Slash. Slash's pickups or Slash's guitar did not go up in price. Of all the darn guitars that didn't go up in price, Slash guitars did not go up in price. No, because they can't sell them. Because they can't sell them. Because they're they're yeah, not any better than their inexpensive counterparts. Yeah. Um, I you're not the first person who's told me that. So yeah. Anyway, all right. We're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna switch gears. We're gonna go to the gig report. Yep. So it's customary that I've been going first. Do you want me to go first tonight, or would you like to go first? I can go first because mine's gonna be real short. All right, go for it. So I played the church today. Um, so I took the Kepper to the church. Uh, again, it was a very easy guitar in one hand. Kemper and the cables in the other, walked in the church, did my gig. Um, I created a padded uh, sound with a um, with some phase. Uh, I put some phaser and some uh, delay and reverb literally stacked almost together <laughs> because they have an acoustic guitar player there. So I was kind of doing that. And then I had like a raw kind of distorted sound for one of the songs. Now, Again, I've said this about the uh, the. There are people who play these kind of gigs and they do more than three songs, but you're really only playing three or four songs a week. Um, I still marvel at that. Um, but anyway, the point is that um, uh, it was it was a nice, easy gig. It was easy to get in and out of, um, and uh, it went really well. I had a lot of people. Um, other than the drummer. Only thing I can hear is Jim's guitar. <laughs> and I'm like, you have control of your mo your monitor. Shut up and change it. <laughs> oh, that's the only thing that came out. Okay. You're, it's all your, the floor is yours. <laughs> all right. Before we go on, um, I caught uh, where my family actually lives in Indiana. Um, there's a, a news site. That for the local town paper and somebody decided to stick their church's live stream in there. I watched about 15 seconds of it and I shut it off. And it wasn't because of like religious opposition or anything. I'm fine with, you know, whatever religion. I actually am pretty, pretty open to a lot of different religions, but um, I just, uh, <laughs> I heard, the, I heard their drummer and I was like, Oh, Oh, so when you said the drummer joke, I just, it's <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I don't blame, you know, a lot of churches don't have great drummers. Um, man, have I got a gig report for this week? So we play. Oh, wait, before, before we go any further, I got to make corrections because people are going to, because people are going to run out and say this. Okay. So the Adam Jones VOS was fifty nine ninety nine, and the custom aged and signed hand signed was nine ninety nine. Yeah. I, I conflate the prices with the used prices because people buy them and then sell them for almost double what yeah, they are. They so that's, never why running, my, yeah. that's why my numbers are that high. So I apologize. All right. So <laughs> this is a gig for you. Let me tell you. Um, so we played the raccoon birthday party and um, so this all started like, I think last week I talked about the fact that I almost went to this gig early because um, like a week early because I had the dates wrong. But uh, so I went back and forth over the last week about like whether I'm playing electric or acoustic. 
Thursday night, I played my acoustic. I played about eight songs in the set. And I go, I am not doing acoustic this weekend. I, my hands just could not handle it. Because I've been playing so much guitar lately. Like, they're just, they're in this constant state of, like, just, like, crushing Coke cans. It's ridiculous. So, I was like, I'm going to get really tired out if I have to play through bard chords on a couple of songs. And I'm just, I can't do this. So, I was like, I got to come up with an electric solution. So, I, I grabbed my uh, my my trusty Behringer t- uh, two-band emulator and plugged it into my PA cab, my battery-powered PA cab. Futzed around with it here at the house. And I actually turned it up. It was like 8 o'clock at night. I'm in a condo, and I turned it up pretty good. Um, and I was like, oh, well, it doesn't sound great, but it's passable. So, I, I took my pedal board, and I took my ethos down off the wall, and I put a battery in it. I went to the store and I bought brand new batteries, brand new nine volts. Um, I actually went to go buy lithiums. So I, I found lithium, ni- a lithium nine volt batteries. Take a guess what a lithium nine volt costs, Jim. $12, $16. Jeez. I'm crow. <laughs> okay. So I, I ended up buying regular nine volts. Um, and I, I did a little bit of research and I found the guy's article. It says brand new nine volts should last like 15 hours in the ethos, which has not been my experience. But I'm guessing that the last couple of times I put a battery in it, it probably wasn't fresh. Um, I got lent a battery from someone. I got, uh, I've been using the, the, I think I showed them last week, these nine volt GI super heavy duty batteries, um, which are, these are uh, designed, not designed for, you know, modern applications. These are really bad uh, carbon zinc batteries. Um, I do like them in my fuzz pedals. So that's why I keep them around. Um, and I'll throw them in you know, drives and stuff in a pinch. Anyway, um, put that on a board with my Delay Llama and the, um, the Univibe. Uh, which Univibe am I using right now? Oh, the Vibe Machine. That fancy expensive one I just bought, and then they came out with a new version like the next day. Um, of course. <laughs> so, which two I'm, weeks later, which I'm probably going to get. Which honestly, I'm probably going to get that one too. Um, I just haven't. I haven't. The, the the urge has not struck me yet. I'll probably end up buying it at right. some point. Right. So, I um, I reached out to the band, told them I was playing electric. Nobody said anything. Great. Showed up at the show. I was there about an hour early. Oh, well, let's start earlier. So I'm just going to give you the no holds barred version of this. And there's going to be some emotion attached. And I apologize if any of my band members are listening, but I'm pissed. Like it was not, that was not a, a really good way to handle it, especially if you're the band leader. I'm sorry. Um, I, I I know that this this sounds callous, but I really don't care that you got up late. I don't. I, I, dude, I got up and drove to a gig. I got up at 5 a.m. and I left the house at 6 o'clock to get to a gig for you. And so the story was, I'm going to be late. I will be there at 11.15. Um, we start at 11.30. So I'm like, if you get pulled over or anything happens to you on the road coming up here, you're going to get stuck. And I'm just like, man... I had a positive attitude. I said, like, the hell with it. It's not a big deal. I'll do cover tunes for 20 minutes or something and yep. rescue this gig if I have to. 
I know there's other members of this band that are that may not be down with that, but it's like, dude, if I'm getting paid, we're going we're going to entertain some folks. That's how it's going right. to work. So anyway, um, I get in the car and uh, I drive up there and I run into our bass player. He's already there, and I see his big bass amp there, and I'm going, how are they going to? Because because I've talked about this on the show before. They run off car batteries in this kind of scenario. I'm like, how are they going to run that thing off a car battery? Well, then I look and there's fucking generator sitting there nobody told me there was a generator i asked so this is i'm gonna put somebody on blast again i asked specifically is there going to be power and i was told no no yep and then i get there and there's a generator sitting there yep so i address this later i'm i i won't bring it up on the podcast but basically somebody didn't ask and i was told they asked um, so I'm, I'm a little frustrated at that point. Cause I could have had, I could have had a much better day if, if I had known, but I made the most of it. I did what I did what any good gig and guitar player does. I just said, you know what, yep. let's roll with the punches. So yep. I rolled my little bitty 10 inch speaker. I don't even know if it's a 10. It might even be an eight Behringer with a tweeter. And I, and I hooked it up and I did a little bit of sound check and I was like, Oh God, this is not going to be loud enough. Um, when we played with this before, we were in kind of a weird place where there was, um, there was a wall behind us. And so it could bounce off the wall and forward. Uh, there's nothing behind us. We were playing in the middle of a basketball court. So I was like, well, man, this is going to be fun. Uh, drummer shows up. He starts playing a little bit. I got a little bit of the guitar going against the drummer and I was like, well, you can hear me over the drums. So I guess that's the best I can do. Um, our band leader shows up at, I would say, five minutes after 11. Um, so he's there a little bit early. And he's loading up his cart and he brought his PA. Now, he was planning to run his PA off of car batteries. Let yeah. me just Let me just put this out there for everybody. Think about that. Think about that silently to yourself. He's going to run his PA off of car batteries. Now, I am ticked off enough that I'm like, I need to go. I was actually hanging out with my wife over on the side. I was like, I need to go stand over here right now. Because at this point, like they're hooking it up to the, to the generator. And um, yep. at this point, I'm I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to help him set up. I do all of my own setup and tear down my own. And I'm a paid player here. And quite frankly, um, there are members of this band that have like literally not spent a dime on gear, except for what came out of the band funds to do it since this, since I've been a part of it. And I'm like kind of ticked off about it because I'm like, you know what? I would put my effort in. I brought an extra microphone for someone. I brought extra cables. Um, I set up their mic stand for them because I was like, they're not going to get here in time to do it. So I just kind of was like, I, you know, why am I shouldering a responsibility? I'm the hired gun. So I just kind of just like walked off and was like sitting and chilling for a little bit. And then um, we, we started to get ready and like their sound checks. So I come walking back over and like started playing a little bit and I tuned up. And we got through now, Jim, you've seen the clip. So I think actually this is probably an appropriate place to stop 
and to propose that you tell me what you saw and tell me what your impression of things was. And then I'll tell you, I'll give you some insight as to what was going on because you've seen the clips. Yeah, sure. What I saw, honestly, um, what I saw was uh, somebody was definitely playing out of tune um, and it banged against everyone else. Um, I won't say who because I... You, I you, was, you really I can't you was, really can't tell who's out no, of tune. But I know who is but I know who is out of tune. Right. And um I saw three guys four guys. I saw four people who were relatively boring. Um, <laughs> now now don't get me wrong. First of all, I want to say I want to put some positive stuff on here because this is important, I think. Um the uh I thought that the original tune that y'all do about the trees. Yeah. Some trees looking at you or something. Yeah. These trees I, are looking at me. Yeah. I love that song. I I have a good time I with that. We did a music not, video for that one. It's, it's fun. I like yeah, that song. That's a, it's a fun song. It's a fun song. It's a funny song. I could tell there was one guy standing over on the side. I won't say who. Um, <laughs> who was having a blast. Who was literally. He's on this side of the screen, by the way, for me, for guys. Um, yeah, I'm he down here. Having, yeah, okay. The guy down here. Like, <laughs> he was ha- he was having a blast playing, okay? And he was leading the band and pulling it together. Um, I heard a lot of the drum and the bass not really, like, there was a little bit of this. There's um, some friction. Yep. Uh, where uh, they could have been together a little better. And a little tighter. Uh, but for the most part, I saw one person trying really hard and three guys phone or four guys phoning it in. That's what I saw. That's that. That was my impression of it. Okay? I don't know how and to phone it in. Got, and Jim, Jim they I, need a phone. I don't know. Jim, <laughs> Jim, this is what I this is what I want to point out to you, though. So, like, I just told you how pissed off I was. The circumstances mm-hmm. leading up to this. When right. I put the guitar on i get my game face on and everything changes because i'm not worried about what happened getting in here i'm not worried it's it's zen i'm not worried about what happened coming in i'm not worried about what's going to happen at the end of it i'm just going to play and i'm going to focus and try to do the best freaking job i can now right so the tuning thing this is how i know i wasn't out of tune folks i checked my tuning every single song for the first seven songs because I had my tremolo bar attached to the guitar and I was kind of in the mindset that like, it's probably me because I bump that or I grab it and I use it for chords and stuff. And every single time my guitar was in tune. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm sitting there and at some point I just kind of went, it's not me. It's the, it, it's somebody down on the other side. Now, I want to point something out. There's another thing that's really weird about this band. We stand in weird places. Like, I'm further apart. And everybody always says, like, why is this guy, like, off to himself? I bring my own music. It's on a stand. It's on an iPad. And um, I bring I bring a mic stand for it. Okay, that I, I don't even have a mic in this band because I don't sing for this band. Um, they want me to sing in our opinion more. Um, but I was like, okay, I'll have my sheet music over here 
and they they have their own copy of the sheet music, but it's one copy for the other three guys that need it. And I'm going, number one, most of these songs are one, four, five. They're they're country songs, or they're not even country. I would consider them to be like uh, classic folk songs. Um, and then some of these songs are, um, they're standards, like, don't you forget about me. Like, once you played it a couple times, you should be good. Margaritaville, I'm off book with that now. Um, and that kind of stuff. Like, I kind of, which we, we played the most punk rock Margaritaville ever. I wish somebody had gotten it on film. It was hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Um, cause I was just, I was doing all this triplet crap over it and it was just, it was hilarious. It sounded like, it sounded like Iron Maiden playing, uh, um, <laughs> it, it did. It sounded like Iron Maiden playing that song. It was hilarious. Um, and so we, um, we got through the gig, right? It's not, not, not a huge deal. Like nobody was mad. There was like two or 300 people there. Um, cause it's a big outdoor thing where they, it's basically it's fall fest. So like they had a corn maze, blow up corn maze, and they had a big bouncy house for the kids and which listen, I have my, I have my reservations cause it's COVID season and it's like people without masks, you know, right up next to each other. Like it's all over. And I'm just like, I'm glad that you feel comfortable with this. Cause I, cause I, I have a little bit of guilt. I'm like, I don't want to put other people in that position and I don't want to encourage people to be in that position either. But I'm like, I'm a musician. This is what I do. So, um, but there was, there was like 300 people there. Most of the people were watching us, which was kind of cool. But, um, we didn't have to sing the raccoon birthday party song this year. We didn't have to do happy birthday for them, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Cause they came out at the end, like as we were wrapping up, um, it was a good, it was a good event. Like, uh, now a couple comments gear wise, my gear sucked. So the ethos was fine, but the problem was the clean sound is not compressed in that at all. So it just, it, it's all transient. So it'll just store a PA if it's plugged in directly, even with the cabinet emulation on. So I was running into situations where like I was clipping my, I was clipping my mic input. And my amp was turned pretty much all the way up and I was still having problems. I was still struggling to be heard. It was a bad situation. I I know I gave a good recommendation to this product earlier. And I think for certain situations, it's still probably worth it. But I, I wish I'd bought the Bose one. But but that said, it's a lot of money and for, you know, a very specific thing. Um, now, if I get an HX Stomp and the Bose thing... I mean, I'm unstoppable. I can play anywhere for anybody at any time. So that's kind of nice. And that's kind of a thought I've had in the back of my mind. But um, no. just walking out of this situation, I didn't get into it with anybody. I got paid. Um, mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, this is the first time I've actually kind of voiced my disapproval with what was going on. And actually, my wife knew about it because we sort of talked about it. And she goes, why do you put up with this? Why do you keep doing this? And I, and I kind of told her, I was like, well, I mean, what else am I going to do right now? Cause I'm like, I don't have another situation going and it's like, right. this is not great, but at least it keeps my chops up and I get a chance to get into, get in front of people every once in a while and maybe it leads to something else. Right. And that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like maybe it leads to something else. 
And I think the band is starting to realize I am the ace in the hole that they thought I would be. Um, I've had people that are friends of the family because it's a, basically a family band. I've had friends of the family come up and say like, they need to play with you like that. They need to stay working with you. And it's, and that's a very good compliment to get, but it's also kind of like, well, I'm not as great as you think I am. And it's just, they need to work harder and like, they need to put in a little bit more effort. And if they put in a little bit more effort, man, they could book a lot of gigs. And if they wrote more songs, like these, you know, trees, we call it trees. Um, I, and they can write that kind of stuff because they're both improv comics like I honestly think we could have something going on, but it would require effort. And yep. this is somebody who I found out at, right after the show was over, basically didn't get out of bed. That's why they were late to the gig. They did not wake up. And when they did wake up, they're like, oh, I can sleep for 15 more minutes. And 15 more minutes was actually an hour. And it's like, well, wait a minute. 15 more minutes versus an hour. Dude, you didn't even leave any. T- you didn't leave any gap for, right? Blown tire, or you know, it's like, what are you doing, dude? You can't. You're the band leader. You are supposed to be the one that is the most reliable. Yep. If I don't show up, they can play a gig without me. Right. If he doesn't show up, we're screwed. That's right. So I, that's why I was like, <sighs> actually, what he said was like, and 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 this this kind of struck me as odd too. Um, they were having a little powwow and talking, and he goes, "Man, he's like, I thought I'd overslept, and I thought I just missed the gig." And it was like, no big deal. I just missed the gig. No big deal. Well, everybody else would have been sitting here. Don't you think that's kind of a big deal? You know, and and not only that, deal. not only that, but. You just let let a business contact down. You're never going to get a gig around here again because that's going to get passed around like yeah. in the city, in the city that like you just didn't show up. And that's not OK. And I don't want my name attached to that. That that I mean, obviously, reputationally, like they're not going to know who I am, <coughs> but right. but they're going to know who he is because he's contact. Um, right. So that's why I'm like, that kind of sucks. And to put other people in that position, like, it's just be more responsible. Be an adult, you know? Yeah. Um, I know how old he is. He's almost my age. He needs to be an adult. And that's mm-hmm. the least adult thing you could have done. And, yep. I mean, I have other I have other thoughts about behaviors and stuff that have gone on in that situation. But um, none of them that I would say, I would say, you have to stop doing this. But like that, you put me in a bad situation in that case. You put everybody in the band in a bad situation in that case. And I'm I'm just not happy with it. So it's fine. I'll continue to play gigs. I got I got a gig book with them on I think 1223. So um we'll see how that goes. Maybe we'll maybe we'll make some decent money that night. Um I just I know that there's not a whole lot of future in this. And this is like, for me, it's just like a come and you go thing. They've all said, like, if you don't, you know, if you decide you don't want to do it anymore, you don't have to do it anymore. And you no, know, nobody's going to be mad or anything. So um, at some point I will have other engagements and I won't be able to make it. And that'll be the end of that. And yeah. so that's fine. I'm not, I'm not even like frustrated in the least. I know there have been times where I've gone back and forth and been like, 
I don't want to be replaced and that kind of thing. But like, I honestly don't really have that feeling right now. I feel like some of this is more hassle than it's worth. So, and I've been that way with other projects I've been involved in too, where it's like, man, I tried really hard for a really long time to put up with a lot of shit and I just couldn't handle it. So I think everybody has that breaking point. Anyway, uh, that's my gig report. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so we ready to wrap up? I think so. All right. I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we've been the Practical Guitarists.